Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 44. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by two co-hosts. We're officially inducting Lawrence Harmon into the the uh, part-time co-host category because this is this is the third appearance now. This is unprecedented for us. So Tom Smiley and Lawrence Harmon, and we're here to talk about legacy. No benefits. We're strictly <laughs> no health insurance. God no, damn it. no health insurance. No four hundred one k. Come on, man. Can I get like a judge foil every other month or something? Just <laughs> no. With the lawsuit. We gotta. We gotta make sure we completely distance judges and guest hosts away from from our finances. We learned from from Watsy's mistakes. Yeah. Welcome back. What's up, guys? People who might have listened. This we're actually recording this on a Wednesday. Uh, I didn't go to work today, so I don't actually know what number this day might be, but it's Wednesday of the week after Niagara. Oh, it's the and 24th. 24th, okay. Yeah, it's it's 424. So uh, we just recorded our episode, and it came out yesterday. And th- this is funny because there's this dude in our Discord who joined today and this morning, Tom. I don't know if you saw this, but he's like, yeah, it's my first episode. Your guys' cast is awesome. And I was like, well... I'm sorry that that was your first episode, but I'm glad you liked it. And now, like, the second episode is going to be totally different because we we didn't get fucking serious at all in that episode, right? Like, that was that was the fun. That was the fun time. But now the other half, the, the analytical half, we brought on our, our expert for this, this topic. And I want to keep this one, you know, really, really a lot more informative than, than the last one where we had a lot more fun. Is that is that uh, what you're trying to get out of this as well? Yeah, I think we we obviously talked about our tournaments last last week and we did we did a a fairly in-depth job of running it down. We just had short runs. So, <laughs> we have we have a lot more to talk about that we have on the docket for this week. Yeah, and, and Lawrence uh played more rounds than the two of us combined. Uh almost almost twice as many, I guess. And so I guess his uh his tournament report will be a little longer than ours uh and that's awesome. I, I like long podcasts personally. I'm a big fan of the uh, the sweet baritone of uh, Kevin Noel Crone, and Lawrence is not a bad substitute. So uh, I'll be listening to this cast to fall asleep next week. <laughs> did you just call? Did you just call Lawrence's voice boring as fuck? No, I said. I think I said sweet or sultry or something along those lines, didn't I? It's really funny yeah. that you guys are like hyping me up as the technical guy because I'm also slosh, Ian. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, no. I have some. I have some uh, interesting stuff planned uh, to spout. I guess. So before before we get started, oh, actually, I'm fucking this up. I never mind. Live your best life, man. Don't let the well, man. Well, I was gonna get down, into the new know? patrons, but. This this is the wrong transition. So, you you want to kick us off with random topics, Ian? Uh, yeah. So I I just saw that there's going to be a PTQ on uh on Moto in August 10th of uh, 2019, which is like four months from two weeks ago. So that's pretty cool. I didn't realize that there were even going to be those. Like, it's sort of like up in the air, as far as I know. Well, Cliffy, um, Michael Clifford, a notable storm player. Uh, aka the guy who taught Cyrus Cormingill how to play Storm, won uh, the last Legacy PTQ within like the last couple of weeks, I think. I, I don't remember exactly when it was. Um, I think it was like two or three weeks ago, something like that. Um, so they, Yeah, that's right. So they've been having like one Legacy PTQ every so often, which is really sweet. Um, I 
I played in that one. I didn't do too well, but I think the Legacy Quarterly actually had like a much harder field than the Legacy PTQ, which is kind of odd to me. Yeah, there was uh it was up against a couple regional events and I think uh I think it was it was like the information didn't seem like it was terribly well disseminated from what I could tell. It might have been up against like a North American Grand Prix as well. Whatever. I mean, I I'm definitely going to play in this one now that I know about it and can mark my calendar. So, I'm pretty pumped about that and the league's reset today, right? Yeah, they did. I actually found about that PTQ like 3 days before it happened or something. It was just like, oh, yeah. There's a PCQ, guess I'll play in it or something. Oh, nice. I didn't realize you played. How many people were in it? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. I didn't do that well in that one, so okay. it was just a... I think it was like a quick one to uh, live my best life on Saturday, you know? Yeah, I feel you. I, I've been there. So the other thing that I wanted to, uh, to pump is we're going to have t-shirts. We had like the... Uh, the classy golf shirt, our first release of shirts, go out to a select few individuals this past weekend in Niagara. Uh, if you know, you know. If not, uh, you're out of luck. So we we are, though, doing the T-shirt. And they're going to be the best. Not not to brag, but the, the best T-shirts, I think. And, uh, Tom, you got some details on that? Yeah, I, I'm so excited. I got a text message from you yesterday. Saying I have an idea, I'm gonna flesh it out. Let me let me message this to you tonight. And when you sent me the draft, I was pumped. Nice, Ab- dude. Absolutely hyped. And I-, I don't know if we want to give out too much information before we have them available. Yeah, no. I feel like they are going to be the best legacy podcast T-shirt, and I can I can definitively say that. So, uh, yeah. Are you going to succeed where Leaving a Legacy failed and have cat-sized merch, or nah? Uh, Tom's the cat guy, Tom. For for the feline audience, you know. Do do you know know what that's about? If if you have a really fat cat that (laughs) can fit into, like, a men's medium, we got you. (laughs) So... Yeah, what yes, you know about Maine Coons, bro? Yes, we have cat-sized merchandise. You just need to have the right-sized cat. I have the biggest, fattest cat, so I, I feel you on that one. How big's your cat, Lawrence? Uh, I have two cats. They're about like 10, 11-ish pounds, something like that. Oh, okay. I, if you put your two cats on one side of a scale and my cat on the other, it's going, it's going to the right. Are my cats on the right or yours? <laughs> no, mine. It, okay. it, my single cat is 24. Jesus Christ. Yep. Yep. So, all right. We, uh, so, Tom, is that, was that the segue you were looking for or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're good. We, um, we also have some new patrons this week that we'd like to thank. I know that you got to meet up with Nate Golia in Niagara Falls and you left such an impression on him. That he became a patron, just to talk to you more in Discord. And Phil Wynn. All I do is win, win, win. Ian, Ian just put his hands up, too. No matter what. I had to take a drink between, but go for it. So thank you. Thank you, Phil. Awesome. If you If you want to check out our Patreon, which links to our Discord, and have access to the t-shirts and the other shirts that we were talking about, you can find us at 
patreon.com slash the dead format. Awesome. Right. So let's, we had some really listener questions. Yeah, yep. All right. We had some listener questions. These came in uh, in anticipation of this episode of, of our seriousness. Is the first question from Yo or is this, is was it like Yo's name was in between the two questions? So, I was so, so the first one was Spooner. Second okay, was gotcha. Yo. Third was Mandungu. So our first question from from Spooner. I'm interested to hear y'all's thoughts on the relative lack of Stompy in event meta. Uh, talk about Niagara. Several casts. Don't remember if y'all were one of them. He's from the South, so these y'alls are. I'm not. That's not me. That's him. Really hyped the amount of red Stompy in particular, but there wasn't very much of it, according to what I've seen slash heard. First and foremost, I want to give a shout out to Annalise Balsino. Uh, yes. She. I believe she lost her winning in. She was like X two, and then she like lost round fourteen, and then lost round fifteen to finish X four or something. She may have finished X three, some somewhere around there. I, I'm not quite sure. Um, but she was playing like Moon Stompy with Cyborg Jaya Ballard, which I thought was pretty sick. Um, usually we've seen that in Painter, but I haven't seen that in Moon Stompy. And uh, like, have... so what does that card do? I'm sorry, I'm I'm a uh... yes, Jaya Ballard Task Mage, the one that's all playing like um like a painter decks it's um one red and discard a card destroy target blue permanent two red and discard a card uh you incinerate and then seven red discard a card and then it's uh deal six damage to each creature and each player i can't remember the name of that card i think it's like inferno or something like that i i'm inferno from the dark no no no. it's uh it's from like urza saga i'm blanking out on the card but like all of her modes are various, like, famous red spells. And, uh, I think it's pretty sweet. Like, that deck having a way to, like, realistically pop Jace is pretty hot. Um, and then, like, the, the, like, three damage is, like, non-negligible, right? It's, it's cheaper than Hazred, and it does the same thing, right? But you have a higher damage output, so I think that's, like, really sweet tech. Yeah, absolutely. Against Painter, that card was always a nightmare. I remember this, the dude I played in Seattle in the top four of the LPS had that card. And I was just like, how do I beat this card? Every card they draw now is like a Pyroblast or whatever. Yeah, they just... You know, this, is, this is brutal. They just fuck your life up, man. It's uh, it's pretty brutal. So, yeah, I thought that was sweet. Um, but overall, I think Chalice the Void is probably the weakest it's been in a long time. All of the the blue decks, like Delver has been on a hard decline because Wasteland's been pretty bad lately. And like when Wasteland isn't that good, it's harder to leverage days, which makes the whole Delver strategy pretty bad. And then like the like Stoneblade decks have been on the rise and like blue decks featuring a lot of two drops and less reliance on cantrips have been like more prevalent. So just like going Chalice on one is like, sure, man, you got it. Play my two drop, play my three drop, play my four drop, you're dead. Like the stompy decks are getting out stompy per se. Yeah, yeah. this is all Oh, you wanna you wanna take no, it? No, in? no, no, go ahead. I was about to say this is all this is all cyclical. Because in response to Stoneblade coming back, we're starting to see Grixis control creep back in. The four color control decks like we saw in the top eight of the Grand Prix and as soon as those start to return, then the Blood Moon Chalice strategies get a little bit ba- a little bit better um, in in fighting what they're trying to fight. 
what's interesting about this pattern, though, is I actually think that the Delver deck might now, you know, compared to when we had uh, Grixis Delver as the primary premier Delver deck, uh, the blue-red Delver deck can really play the the Blood Moon game, right? Like, much better than the other Delver decks used to be able to. Blue-red Delver can play the Blood Moon game, but it's pretty, like, not that great against combo deck. And that's kind of just always been its flaw. Like, if you play Blue-Red Delver in a GP, you're probably going to be fine. Like, Dennis Ulanov got top 16 with Blue-Red Delver. And I wouldn't be shocked if he played, like, 80 to 90% fair decks. But, like, if, say, he hit, like, four copies of Storm in the GP, he would, like, maybe beat one to two of them. Um, based on, like, him being a very good pilot of Delver. But I just don't think the deck is really well equipped to beat the Storm deck. And, um... Or just, like, combo in general, to be honest. So that's kind of the biggest hole in its game. So it's, like, not like Grixis Delver, where um, you have Thoughtseize or, like, maybe other discard or random black spells that help you close up the game faster, like Gurmag Angler or more Disruption. You just kind of are this awkward burn deck that has blue spells, and they can still just, like, ignore your soft counter magic. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I think that the the Blood Moon deck, or or the Stompy decks, I guess we should say. One of the calls that I made on, on episode 42 when we were getting ready for this is that I thought it was kind of sneaky that Steel Stompy might actually be the best Stompy choice for this tournament. And this this isn't like indicative of that being correct or anything, but I did see a top 32, I think it was ninth place, a Steel Stompy deck, right? Was that somebody's playing straight Steel Stompy or... Yeah, I know Max Gilmore, the Min Max blog, um, played Seal Stomping, and he, I know he had no buys. And Max is like an amazing pilot. He actually helped me learn how to play Grixis Delver. Um, he's like really good, uh, but he's in the camp of like the generic legacy player who doesn't play a lot of paper magic, so he doesn't get buys at tournaments from Planeswalker points. And like, we know about that. Yeah, grinders are low EV, so like, a number of people just opt to skip them. And, uh, I want to say he finished top 32 or 64, something along those lines, and then there was two other Steel Stompy players who finished ninth and then somewhere in the top 32, somewhere around there. So, like, I think all of the Steel Stompy players who date cash the event, something like, somewhere around there. Oh, that's um, interesting. I, I could be mistaken. I'm sure somebody will correct me um, if I'm wrong, but um, I think I've generally looked at Steel Stompy as like a more convoluted Eldrazi deck, where like you you're you're doing very much the same thing, but to make a Reality Smasher, it takes you like three cards as opposed to just one card, and um, that that may have changed. Uh, Steel Stompy has a few different tools that it has access to. Uh, you know, you get Vault Scourge and various other things. You get Flying Threats to block Merit Lage, and you get you get access to some cool stuff. So maybe uh, maybe that deck is the premier Chalice deck, and we've also seen players um, start splashing green, even though it's off of, like, five green sources, which seems odd to me, uh, for Choke and, like, Seal of Primordium to uh to combat like the miracles matchup which is i think one of the more awkward matchups for steel stompy but it's you know it's it's definitely a player in the metagame i think uh 
you know, maybe as players explore the archetype a bit more and see what it can do, we could uh, see some sick innovation. Um, because for a while we only had just mono brown seal stomping, and now we're seeing green splashes. Maybe we'll see some splashes into other colors for other sideboard cards or uh, various effects that could attack the metagame really well. Main deck or having access to extra main deck revokers and thorns is a really big benefit for Steel Stompy compared to Eldrazi as well. So Eldrazi had Thought Not Seer, obviously, which is its best way to disrupt. And Revoker does a very similar job in the in the Steel Stompy deck. Yeah. Um, also, shout out to Max. He mentioned one of his coolest plays was uh, top decking a Tower of the Magistrate uh, to give his creature protection from artifacts to lethal his opponent through a Baleful Strix. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, Tower of the Magistrate is a land that can tap to give a creature protection from artifacts. And it was used back in the day as a way to kind of disconnect a Batterskull germ from a token, or from the Batterskull itself, right? Right. And uh, Max just randomly top-decked and lethal his opponent, so that was sick. Yeah, for sure. And what I was going to say is that a lot of these decks that, like, I was playing, for example, you've got, like, a Council's Judgment and two Disenchant. And if somebody's going that wide as, like, the Steel Stompy deck, they tax the fuck. You know, they have Chalices, obviously, but they tax the, the fuck out of your Disenchants. So if you're going to Disenchant Chalices, you, you can't waste those Disenchants on the other artifact creatures. So it's kind of, uh, you know, taxing a, a different resource that, the, of yours, right? that I, th- I think it might be exploiting the metagame, specifically for Niagara, the, the metagame that was very Tundra-heavy. Like You mentioned it being weak to Miracles, and I agree, but like being good against uh, the Stoneblade and Blue-Red Delvers. I think that's definitely an angle that the deck can attack from, and I'm curious to see how people innovate. Uh, I think in the future, the deck may want <clears throat> you know, something like Glimmer Post or... Um, what's, the, what's the new one that costs a life to use? doesn't black oh spire there is a blast zone spire of industries i think yes yeah they may want to start utilizing some number of spire of industries to start enabling their splash colors and they may want to start exploring you know the other colors what they can do you know maybe the deck wants some number of thought seasons which you know even though you're a chalice deck you know you're not going to have a soul land on turn one every time and going like thought these into chalice um it's potentially break Ah, game-breaking or, you know, having access to random red effects or what have you. It, it may be something worth exploring. Yeah, unless uh, unless we see the London Mulligan rule, in which case, I don't know, they will have to challenge every time, right? Yeah, so. roll tide. <laughs> yep. So the, se- the next question comes from Yo. Uh, Yo, who we, we learned today is is also in a hardcore band apparently every everybody in our discord's in a hardcore band or has has uh has played a show in detroit in in the mid-2000s at some point so from from yo what do you think uh the best way is to attack the tundra meta uh and what do you say to the people that think true name nemesis should not be in legacy i'm sorry it says tnm but i think he means uh skill game uh brain assist so I thought about this question a lot because leading into Niagara, we had we had this idea that the blue-white decks were what were coming up. We saw that in Syracuse, 
and in the online results leading up to it. And really, I thought the best way to attack it was to go over the top of it, and I played Sneak and Show. And I thought the deck was a great choice for the event. I thought we had a good list and a good sideboard guide put together. But the Tundra decks really have a hard time dealing with what Sneak and Show is trying to do. And I know Jerry lost to Daniel in top eight, but that that kid is very, very good at Magic the Gathering. Well, I saw it, he recorded with Everyday Eternal. I'm looking forward to listening to that tomorrow. Yeah, also, I haven't I haven't heard it either, but... He also recorded with First Strike Podcast. Um, I listened to the Everyday Eternal, and it was pretty good. Um, nice. But to piggyback off of what Tom was saying, um, like, the weird thing about Tundra decks is they're oddly resilient. So, like, right now, the format is a lot of basic lands and what have you. And, like, historically, we've seen the best way to attack Blue-White Stoneblade being playing, like, three or four-color Stoneblade with, like, Thoughtseize or Abrupt K or what have you. Yeah. But the way the format is shaping up, like, the Blue-White Stoneblade deck basically get to play, like, Back to Basics or um, Wasteland for free. Exactly. And, you know, I know Omar Beldon and... Uh, Keith Capstick played like blue white stone blade with a very light black splash for Thoughtseize. And I think Keith didn't make day two, and I think Omar I know Omar did make day two. I don't know how he finished. I never actually said uh, on the last episode, that's actually what I played as well for this tournament. I played uh, thought two Thoughtseize in the main, uh, one Thoughtseize in the board, and two Zealous in the board. It was my only black card. So continue. I just wanted to let everybody know. Yeah, for sure. Now, o- Omar was the player that built the deck for i remember hearing that i remember reading that name on twitter of the person who came up with whose stoneblade deck that was that was daniel goshel the guy who won the dp okay he won a legacy challenge with omar's um blade list omar was like hey i want to play stoneblade and i'm thinking about playing blade delver and daniel was like hey i think the delver suck because of like infinite disenergy inside the deck which I agree with the blue white Delver deck. I'm not really a big fan of, and Omar decided to play the sideboard Delvers, uh, which is something that a few people have tried. Like I, I know um, Peter White Pow Twenty Two on Moto has played three sideboard Delvers and uh, Miracles as a way to attack combo decks, and I've tested it and ultimately just like didn't play it. Uh, but it was very good. It was it was very good when I tried it, but it just wasn't broad enough of a game plan. And um, it's kind of like Black Vice, right? I mean, honestly, it's just like, you know, 3-3-3, three, 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 you have to take out your removal. Right, exactly. And um, Omar played the Cyborg Delvers, and Daniel played in a challenge. He won the challenge. He was like, oh, man, this is sweet. And he played it for a little while. And then he, I guess he abandoned it for this GP because Palace Jailer is uh, an ignorant card. Good callback, Tom. I co- totally forgot that that was Omar. I do I do things right once at, once in a while. <laughs> so yeah, that I totally agree with that conclusion. That was kind of where I was getting to. I, I, I could decide if I wanted to splash red or black in the blue-white deck to go over the other blue-white decks, right? The next step in the leveling. And the, the red splash, they, they both had a little bit, in my opinion, a little bit of upside against Sneaky Show because you either get two Thought Seizes or you get the Cyborg Rebs. So you you get like improve the matchup a little bit. Still not great. No, it's not like making the matchup good or something. But uh, I, I think it's really weird. Um, 
like I played Blu-ray Miracles, and historically I've played Blu-ray Red Miracles. This is the first tournament I've played with, or well, first paper tournament I've played with Blue-White Miracles. Um, and I remember talking to Sam Rukas, and he said he regretted playing the Red Blast Splash because it made his mana worse. And I think part of that is like right now the Blue-White decks are so good at punishing people for playing the third color. So like historically. You know, the Black Splash was the Mirror Breaker. But right now, with Back to Basics and Wasteland and, like, Palace Shaler, the blue-white decks, like, get to ignore the opposing Wasteland, ignore the opposing, like, non-basic and hate, and then also have threats that go over the top. So, like, you're you're rewarded more for just having a stable mana base and being able to cast your spells, as opposed to playing the game where you, like, cut your opponent off of their ability to cast spells. So are we are we in a meta where going over the top of Tundra just means playing more Palace Jailer? Like <laughs> everybody is just gonna bump up the number of jailers in their deck in blue white shells to try to go over the top of each other? It's hard to say. Like before the tournament I was testing with um Luke Strassler and Menhojul Hawk. And uh I'm in, in like a group chat with a bunch of Miracles players and we we've dubbed ourselves the Miracles Cabal and you know, whatever teasing bullshit, right? And, um, like, I was talking to men, and, like, a bunch of the guys last minute audible to Red Blast, like, Keatonwood, Onrog, uh, Rugved, and Sam Rukas all audible to Red Blast. And I know Sam regretted playing Red Blast in the tournament because he felt like his mana base was, like, more susceptible to just things that it shouldn't be. And, like Honorog, it paid off for Honorog because he played Sneak and Show like four times and like Rug Blast or R- Rug Blast. <laughs> R- <laughs> <laughs> Red Blast is nuts. Please leave that in, by the way. Um, I, I will. <laughs> um, Red Blast is nuts in that matchup, but like, uh, it, it's just kind of like the world we live in where like these two color decks are just like so good at punishing the three color deck that it not only like negates the advantages that the three-color decks historically have of, like, you know, Zealous Persecution and Thoughtseize to really strip the other decks of what they're doing. But it's also just, like, a disadvantage now. So it's weird, because, like, the best way to go over the top of Blue-White Stoneblade is just be a better Blue-White Stoneblade pilot than your opponent. <laughs> right? Or, like, the or be a better like blue white miracles opponent than your pilot it's it's or your opponent uh which is really which is really weird um normally there's a way on paper to kind of capitalize on a flaw in a deck but we we're just in this really like punishing metagame yeah and i i mentioned on on our cast you might have heard uh today if you listened that i think that uh i i don't actually know if I was better against those decks, because the London Mulligan, I was playing the those matchups so few times. Like I, I, I don't feel like I got any real data over the last two weeks to actually, you know, ingest any of it. So I just kind of went with what I thought was right, and I, I definitely have an experience. Like you said, I have an experience, like an advantage in those matchups from playing those colors. It's totally just like what has worked historically, and I, I'm inclined to agree. Like, I was looking at some of the Brian Colville lists that had come out in the past week or, you know, some of the lists that had done well in the last couple weeks, and I was trying to envision how the games would go. And they're definitely at a huge advantage when you see these lists with, like, you know, four four islands and three planes or whatever. You know, the, you're, not, you're not doing shit. Like, they're, 
they're going to mess with your mana, no question. And you're not going to be able to mess with theirs. Yeah, like literally the only cards you care about are Choke and Ghost Quarter and Basic Planes. Otherwise, you just don't care. And it's uh, it's pretty great. So so attacking the Tundra meta, Tom mentioned uh, you know, the this, this Sneak and Show. What do you think is the best Delver deck against Tundra? Uh, none of them, necessarily. Um, <clears throat> I think, I, I guess Blue-Red Delver, per se. I think Bug Delver is a good matchup for Tundra decks. I think Grixis Delver is, like, very clunky. I think Blue-Red Delver's ability to get under you is just, like, great for them. Uh, but I think, you know, the best way to, to attack the Tundra decks is something like Sneak and Show. Just a combo deck that's like weak to red blast, but people aren't like playing red blast as much. So you know, like um, before the tournament, uh, Tom and I jammed some games, and he just like XO'd me. It was like pretty easy. Um, I didn't really adjust my sideboarding. Like I, I knew he was boarding in a bunch of features, and I should have boarded back in plows. But we were just jamming games before the tournament. I didn't feel like picking up my cards and <laughs> siding sideboarding other things in. But it was just one of those things of like. Tom's deck was very well positioned against my deck. Um, yep. And that was a thing that I knew playing Miracles, which is why I had a Containment Priest in my deck uh, when I hate that card because it yep. it does nothing most of the time. And I'll, I'll co-sign that conclusion on Blue-Red to 100% because the the deck, the, the, the pilot I've absolutely had the most losses to playing Tundra Online is Learn to Love. And uh, I, I don't know, I was like one in X against him playing various Tundra decks. So that's that's, that's Rich Callie, right? I actually played against him in the GP. He was a, Oh nice. Yeah, he was a very pleasant opponent. He's a cool dude. Was he playing his his blue red deck or was it tweaked at all or what? He was playing the Stifle Grixis Delver list that he played in the um the um, Legacy PTQ. Yeah. Nice. Well what's funny is um like the the guy who top aided with like the Rector Nick fit t- miracles deck whatever that was my buddy nick lalo who's known for like throwing together these like horrendous looking piles and then just like <laughs> crushing everybody with them is that it's on is that it's unfair yeah and uh i was in a discord call with him just like watching his games or whatever and he played against rich Callie and as the win in it to the top eight and it was just like one of those things where it's just like oh man it, it's just like kind of surreal to like watch someone like lose to this pile and then play against them in a gp (laughs) and it's just like hey man we've played but we haven't really played uh i I was there for one of the worst moments of your life (laughs) yeah sorry that you let's talk about that sorry that you lost some nico bolas or something man So wait, what did you say his name was? It's unfair because I played against him a bunch. I don't know who he is. Nicholas Lalo. He's um. Okay. I don't know what brand of European Ohio, he is. Ohio guy. He's a. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, I thought you said he was a, a local. No, no, no. His last name is Lalo. L A L L O. He's he's really good at legacy, and he I've watched him play the worst decks I've ever seen. He's like built mono blue Delver with Niv Magus Elemental and Quad Cluster Storm and Five Ode with it. Like he's just. He's he's broken, man. He's just completely broken. Like, just totally nuts at Legacy. Just throws together unplayable decks and just does well with them. Like, after he top-aided the PTQ, multiple people played his deck, and it was just like, guys, <laughs> his deck isn't playable. He's just Lalo. 
Bro, what's in the water over there in Europe or Scandinavia or whatever? Because, like, Marcus, I love looking at Marcus's decks, man. If, if Marcus has tweeted, that's the tweet I'm reading first when I get on Twitter. Like, whatever the fuck crazy high tide-ish kind of time spiral shit he's doing. I'm, like, I love it. I'm in a legacy chat with Marcus, and the last few days have been nothing but Teferi piled with the new Teferi. Yep. And I'm just like, holy shit. Can we realize that this card's unplayable so we can move on with our lives? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wait, is that card, does that come out this week? Uh, it's on Moto, like, probably right now, right? It was supposed to come on, like, now or, uh, tomorrow or something. Um, because that's what they're doing. They're, like, releasing the cards a little bit earlier on Moto. Yeah, so this is something, this isn't a, a question, but this is something I want to talk about. So I'm just going to be real quick. The London Mulligan is still on Moto today, right? So... Is is this just like what what are you guys gonna do? And someone did ask this actually in our Discord. Like, are you guys gonna pretend like there is no London Mulligan, or are you gonna lean into it? Because I'm trying to figure out what I'm gonna do when I do you know boot up Moto again tomorrow or whatever. I don't know. I think the London Mulligan is great for Magic as a whole. Uh, it reduces the number of non games. The ultimate issue is just like in eternal formats, you have like decks that can just capitalize on it. You know, yeah. like, normally, like, when your Eldrazi opponent molds to five, you're just like, sweet, <clears throat> they mold to five. But now... That's the cost of playing the deck. One out of three games are going to do that. Right? right, like, there was a there was a fail rate. There's an inconsistency. But now the London Mulligan mitigates that. So, like, your Eldrazi opponent can mold to five and still go, like, turn one chalice, turn two thought, not turn three smasher. And you're just like, well, I kept a reasonable hand, but I didn't mold to the nuts. So... Right. Or you might not even have the nuts in your main board or, or in your in you, even in your 75, right? Like, I would have to be building decks specifically for what I what I perceive to be the London Mulligan metagame. So I don't know if I want to do that or not. Like, I don't, I don't know when that would potentially stop being on Moto. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, leading up to the GP, I 5-0'd a league, and then I just bombed a bunch of leagues where, like, I played against a bunch of stoppy decks and didn't just mulligan aggressively to, like, beat their aggressive mulligans. And then I 5-0'd another league at the end. It was like, it was just a 5-0 sandwich. And um, I don't I don't really know. It's interesting to see how... it'll Well, it will be interesting to see how the London mulligan ultimately affects things. Oh, I, I think on Moto, it'll be more of an impact than in paper. Because, like, paper players tend to not switch decks, per se, Absolutely. and just yep. switch like change sideboard cards like you know if someone's inclined to play miracles they're going to play miracles if someone wants to play delver they're going to play delver you know what have you and um i i think we're going to see more of an impact on of the london mulligan online than actual like paper gps yeah for sure you mean if they if they were to implement it i think they will Right, I'm, I'm saying like if if there's no if it's contiguous and we never again have a have a moto metagame without the London Mulligan, like it's just here to stay already. Like you're saying that the the Grand Prix Atlanta or whatever won't be as adjusted as moto is by then. Um, potentially. Uh, that's okay. generally how like that's generally how it works, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. You test on moto and then you have to like tune your deck for like two weeks in the past. And figure out how, like, people were attacking things two weeks ago, as opposed to how people are attacking things now, because yeah. you can just level yourself out of a tournament. Like, you can play like, you know, 
Esper Deathblade and DP Niagara because they're like, oh, I'm going to beat all these blue-white players, and then you just lose to random shit. Yeah, or or play the deck to beat Grixis Control because you think Grixis Control is going to beat the decks that people are going to play, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah, but uh, <laughs> quick tangent, I think Grixis Control is shit, and I also <laughs> think that that deck isn't actually good against um, Stoneblade. Uh, Bro, thank thank you. Uh, it's 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 good. It's it's definitely not great. Though. I think people give it like you know numbers way higher than it should be. So whatever. like, what happens is people's argument is like. Yeah, you just call against command the Stoneforge Mystic and the Batter Skull. But what really happens is like a competent Stoneblade Ply will just like play their Stoneforge on turn two, and the Grixis Control Ply will play their third lane and pass. And then the Stoneblade Pilot will just play their like third land or fourth land or whatever and pass and just keep passing turn. So they get to develop their hand while the Stoneblade while the Grixis Control Ply has to keep respecting this Batter Skull that's like being threatened so you just never put batter skull in and you get like a two mana triple rishin port every turn and it's just nuts it's just nuts value and that's just how that matchup plays out if you just like don't play like an idiot so like you just never play nicole against command and you just destroy your control opponents because their deck sucks uh because the deck is like jund but it can't apply pressure and that's like why Edgar Megalesh or Megalhaze? I, I can't remember how he pronounces it, man. He's Megalis, maybe? I don't know. He's told me, but he always says it really fast, and I'm just like, you know what? <laughs> you, you know what? You got it. You got it, bro. You're Canadian. You're good at magic. Like, he played the DAC pile because it's it covers a lot of the issues that Grixis Control has of, like, being able to close out games. And, like, like Grixis Control doesn't really gain a complete lock on the game, you get to a certain point and you're just frantically upticking Jason, hoping your opponent doesn't draw anything good when you bottom, because your deck just, like, can't really answer everything competently. And, um, like, the, the deck pile, like, gives you the punishing fire engine to close things out, and you also have, like, deck to just, like, draw two cards every turn. So you can get to a point where you can just answer everything as needed. And, uh, I don't know, I like that deck way better. Cool. So the last question we got is uh, from uh, Mundungo. Tom, do you, you know who you know Mundungo? Yeah, he um he is in the game Discord uh, along with me and joined our Patreon joined our Patreon a while back. He played Infect at the Team Pro Tour in the Legacy seat. Oh, nice. Yes, he is. He is very good. He's a Donkey Kong fan too, right? Uh. I don't get that reference actually. Is it, I thought that was his avatar in our disc in the Discord. I don't know. It, it could... might be. He might have gone. He might have gone full ape. <laughs> you want to take that que- this question? Sure. So he asks: the top eight of the Grand Prix was a surprise to no one. What do you think of the best deck options moving forward? Fast combo and K Command Control seem like the best options. Moto seems to have caught up already from the challenge results. So. I think Lawrence talked a lot about the K-Command trap, I guess. But really, I think that the Strifo slash Edgar list is like the next step. And I personally don't have enough experience playing against that version of Pile to know if the play patterns work the same way. And everybody, 
everybody always thinks, all right, fast combo. Fast combo is the answer. But man, Legacy has a way of balancing itself, and people hate losing the fast combo. So like, like you said, people like hate hate losing the fast combo. Um, and if you're expecting more forcible checks, you're going to prepare for them. Uh, if you get paired against someone who's like a known test, like when I played the Legacy Quarterly, I got played paired against both Anthony Laverde and Landon Swartz, and it was just like, all right, my opening seven doesn't have forcibles, so I'm just going to mulligan to it, because I know all the test pilots have been on this plan of, like, turn one jam empty the Warrens against Miracles and Hope, or turn one just go for it, and, really? like, I just, yeah, um, a couple, not a couple, like, six months back, I... Not six months, Jesus. When I was first testing AK, I hit up Brian Cook to help me test the test matchup because I haven't played against tests a lot. And, uh, like, at the time, I was trying to list that a triple cluster storm main, and I was, like, destroying him when he was trying to go long because he would have to, like, cast all of his Thoughtseize or whatever on one turn and then go off the next turn. And it was, like, okay. very easy for me to just recover from a wave of discard in one turn and set up for him to not go off the next turn. And um, Anthony Laverde, I believe, was the one who was just like, hey, we should just turn one Miracles. Like, there's a... I think it's 35% somewhere around there that your opponent has, is playing a forcible deck and has it in their hand. The odds of you being able to go off turn one with Tess and, like, make goblins against a forcible deck are fairly high, especially because um, on the draw, people don't mulligan against tests as aggressively as they should. People are more used to ant play patterns where they, like a lot of ant players, try to play a longer game against the fair decks where Tess is just like, you know, fuck them, we ball. And it's just, you know, here's 20, <laughs> here's like 15 goblins on turn one, let's go. I, I think that... You know, Anthony was like right on the right thing. He was like, when playing Miracles, I know I personally bored out all my monastery mentors and I bored out most of my win cons. And I just killed them with Snapcasters and Wing Clicks and, you know, maybe a Jace or whatever. And my deck is just nothing but things that stop them from going off. So their best window for killing me is turn zero to one as opposed to anywhere else in the game. So, you know, he's a smart dude. Um, for coming up with that plan. Uh, in terms of attacking Tundra, I don't know, it's it's really awkward. I personally didn't play Stoneblade in this tournament because I don't have a lot of experience with it. I could pilot it competently, but uh, I wasn't particularly interested in having like disenchant effect relevant against my deck and you know having to come up with the backup plans. I was just more experienced with miracles and uh, yeah. I I think the best ways to attack Tundra are more or less like what decks do so. You could you could look at the four color strike pile. That's probably a good choice if you just want an arbitrary deck that does it. Uh Speaking Show's really good. Uh, maybe Reanimator? Maybe. I'm I'm not quite sure. Uh if if people are on the Daniel Goshal Tormod script plan, maybe that's a bit better, but if People are on surgicals that could be a bit looser. Um, but I think it's more just like making sure you understand your matchups because that's ultimately what Legacy is about. Just yep. getting a, a clear grasp on your matchups and going from there. 
So I, I'm going to add one more listener question because I listen to this every week when I edit. So I get, I get to throw it in too. So Lawrence talked about how legacy was really a format about knowing your deck and your matchups. So I, I want you to imagine that we're in a future where <laughs> the London, the London Mulligan is in paper and it's been adopted everywhere. And you can pick one deck to become the master <coughs> of. Think Landon on Reanimator, Cyrus on Ant, Lawrence Harmon on Miracles, Ian, Ian on, <laughs> on smoking, a, smoking, <laughs> smoking a jewel through his nose. <laughs> what? That was the what most metal you... shit I've heard, by the way. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was so brutal. He, we we're walking well, down the... Yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I we were walking down the street to the casino and everybody's just looking at you no. shocked. Shocked that you that you did what you did. See, that's terrible because in my head everybody was like, Yeah, and high fiving me and shit. Like that didn't happen. Uh, uh <laughs> like I love Vic's vapor rub and I love nicotine. <laughs> I really love nicotine. <laughs> So when I when I got like one whiff of that thing, I was like, I got an idea. You were just like, this <laughs> this is the future. It was already too late to stop me, <laughs> and uh, no regrets. But whatever. Uh, so I think honestly that the the card, and I, I don't, I'm not, I don't think this will happen or anything. But I think that the card that needs to go first would be Ancient Tomb, if we do end up in a London Mulligan world to try, you know, to try to cor- like correct for it. If if that's even a goal, like to correct for it, right? Maybe maybe legacy just becomes this really super uppercut turn one format, but uh, maybe not, right? So uh, I think White Eldrazi would be the, my choice. So. so I think like Magical Nine would become more miserable because people are more inclined to switch decks based on like how cheap things are and mana traders and what have you, just external factors that make it easier to try new things. But in paper, players tend to to go, I like this duck and build it, right? And some players Did you say duck. What? Do you say duck? Deck. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, it's okay. I said I said merfolk last week. <laughs> <laughs> I've been getting people sending me pictures of fucking horsefish, <laughs> which apparently there's a fucking horsefish that is actually in one of the most recent magic sets. So. Really? There we go. Yeah, uh, it is the blue. Ah, uh, it was part of a cycle. Uh, something mare. Yeah, the the random mares. Yeah, I remember those. Um, there's yes. got to be a, a brewery around here called Horsefish because there's there's a hundred thousand breweries around here. So we can get yeah maybe a beer for that to commemorate. But um. Shit, I don't remember where I was. I, I was rambling something about people not switching decks. The, the best deck, the best deck. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, basically, people aren't going to really switch their decks and they're going to play what they enjoy as opposed to like making metagame calls in Legacy because that's like more what the format is about. People just kind of play what they want because most of their tournament experience is either like at weeklies or whatever. And like the Moto metagame may end up becoming like a hellish landscape of Chalice the Voids and grizzle brands whereas like the paper landscape will probably be more of the fair shit that we see in general like um 
Dylan Hovey and Brandon Dalway are friends of mine, and I was helping them learn legacy. And um, like one thing I made sure they were aware of is that people just play the decks they like, as opposed to playing, making like huge metagame calls more than often. So I was just like, just know your matchups with whatever deck you feel like playing, and like. Both of them ended up on Delver decks, even though I suggested Stoneblade piles for them to play. Uh, and unfortunately, it didn't work out for them. But like, Bro, who is Dylan Hobie? Is he like a pro? I've heard that name like probably 10 times in the last month. Like I keep hearing that name. Is he like a pro tour player or something? No, he's just like a... He's a dude who streams a bunch of modern and stuff, and he's okay. streaming Legacy. And he went on this like nutso run where he like top aided like two or three legacy challenges back to back. what's his moto name? Uh Hovey DW. Okay. And um like there was a period when I was playing like Grixis Delver and I um was teaching him how to play the deck and then he's at Niagara he played blue red delver with the two tropical islands to splash um what is it? Sylvan Library? So well, the Eric Virgo special? Yeah, he Eric Virgo's in a in a Delver chat with me, Dylan and Dalloway. And um we were talking about his list and just like made a few tweaks and kind of finagled things from there. And unfortunately Dylan and Dalloway didn't do that well. Dalloway like lost Dan Goshal in his like nuts of run and uh Hobie got memed on. I don't I'm not really sure what he played against, but um Blue Red Delver That'll just That'll happen to Delver, man. Yeah, Blue Red Delver didn't do that well. Wasteland just wasn't a good card and hasn't been a good card for a while. Yeah, it's crazy. Like Delver, you're you're so you know, it's such a it's such a good deck for what legacy is, but when you go to a GP like you said, people play these like random decks. Like I when I, I remember playing uh Delver a couple months ago and i just kept getting crushed by this dude had a pack rat deck like a rat deck or whatever you know and uh i i just couldn't beat it like with with rug delver because like what are you stifling he's all playing basic swamps you know i'd be stifling pack rat activations if i could even get it off through uh chalices and stuff uh you know you can get you can get memed down for sure yeah that's rough i think rug delver uh i'll go into this a bit later i think rug delver is fairly low power level right now in the format on unfortunately because that deck is sweet are we going to my tournament report or yeah pretty much so we uh we're just through the intro section of the podcast crossing the one hour mark <laughs> uh, so we'll move on to our second topic which is so lawrence you this was your your best uh grand prix finish you haven't played in a lot of grand prix is that right yeah something like that um I wasn't even playing on this Grand Prix. My car, like, broke down. Uh, so I've been saving up money. And this Grand Prix, like, everything fell into place. Uh, one of my friends offered me a free spot to crash at. One of my friends last minute just decided, like, hey, I want to go to this Grand Prix to play side events. Do you want to, like, drive with me? And then Jarvis, you, I was talking to him. He was like, hey, are you coming out to Grand Prix? Um wherever the fuck this was, because I can't remember, because tequila's great. Um, <laughs> Happens to the best of us. Was it Niagara Falls? Yeah, Niagara yeah. Falls. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, yeah, I can't come out, I'm broke. 
uh, I have other things that I need to take care of. And he's like, I'll pay for you to play this Grand Prix. And I'm like, nice. I was like, thank you, based Marvelous Jarvelous. Uh, <laughs> and um, so, you know, I make plans to go to this Grand Prix. And me and my friend drive out. And he has to work Friday. So we arrive at the Airbnb at like 1 o'clock and fall asleep at 2. And I set my alarm for 7, but my dude forgets to turn off his alarm that he normally has set for work on Saturday. So we all wake up at 5 o'clock, and I like, I do one of those like hop up out of bed, like yep. just fucking sprint across the room kind of things. And then he's like, oh, it's 5 o'clock, and I'm awake. I'm like real fucking awake. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, well, guess I'm just going to be awake until the Grand Prix starts. So I like kind of get 30 minutes of sleep here and there, whatever, but whatever. So it was interesting. The week prior to the Grand Prix, I was listening to a bunch of podcasts and like the the Bash Brothers podcast did a did an episode about like how your mentality affects how well you play. And is that Brad Nelson? Brad Nelson, BBD, and Corey Baumeister. Is it a good podcast? I haven't listened to oh, it yet, it's, but it's pretty good. Um nice. But they go into how like when historically when they put a lot of pressure on themselves to do well they've just bombed those tournaments like bbd won worlds and then people were like oh man you don't deserve to win worlds because you got the gp slaughter you're like not a real world champ and then like the next year was his worst year in competitive magic yeah he missed plat right uh he missed like everything or something despite having the very inside track yeah he i think he missed plat um even though he had like the boost of winning worlds and um, they kind of just went into how like the turn stays on the best set or the ones they've been the most chill about and like they tested for and everything, but they weren't like overly stressing. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to try that for this GP. I'm just not going to worry about my record or whatever. I'm just going to have fun, play magic. And I got three hours of sleep. So I'm like, Oh, I'm totally going to bomb the shit out of this GP. So why give a fuck, right? So I show up to the GP hall and I double check my registration because I'm really paranoid about these things. And they're like, oh yeah, you're registered for the GP and you have a buy. And I didn't know I had a buy because I play almost no paper magic. So I just, I'm just like, oh shit, sick. I have a buy for this GP that I didn't know about. And, um, that's nice. That's good to find out. Yeah. So I like walk around round one and I like notice Tom and he, you know, I like am stopping in at various friends matchups. Like I stop at Pat Hugo's matchup. I stop at Jeremy's matchup and, you know, I watch for a little bit and Tom's opponent just doesn't show up. So we end up jamming games and he, uh, brutally murders me every game in a row, just completely destroys me. It wasn't even close. Like, I could have reboarded because I was playing Miracles and he was playing Sneak and Show and I knew he had Grim Love Manther and like Arcane Artisan, so I should have boarded in the plows again. But we were just jamming for fun, so I didn't really care as much. So I didn't feel like just reboarding and all that. It was just a time sink that I didn't care about. I'm I'm not gonna lie, after we finished that set of games, I was feeling really good about the day. I was like, Alright, I'm ready to do this. Yeah. Did you wish you hadn't played those games, Lawrence? Or no, no. I was thankful. like totally happy about those games because like 
Deacon Show was a matchup that I didn't actually get the chance to test much. Um, oh, nice. Before the tournament, I like tested some other matchups with friends, and I played some leagues or whatever. But Sneak and Show wasn't a matchup I got focused testing against. And I'm used to playing that matchup with Red Blast. So like when I play the matchup with Red Blast, I feel very comfortable. Like, very, very comfortable. But this is the first tournament I've played without Red Blast and Miracles. Um, and ironically, it's like the best finish I've had outside of like an Eternal Weekend Top 16 with Blair Red Miracles. And um, it was just interesting to see how it affected the matchup and what have you. But, um, you know, Tom destroys me, and uh, I go into my first round, and um, my opponent is shuffling their deck very aggressively. And I'm not going to give the full tournament report, because I'm in the middle of writing up a tournament report that'll be on my blog, uh, which I'll send the link to you guys to link or what have you. But, um... <clears throat> Here, that, that link for everybody is thirstforknowledge.home.blog. We'll put it in the cast notes. Oh, nice. Sick. Thanks, guys. Um, but yeah, my opponent is shuffling their deck like it, you know, it like dumped their sister on prom night. Like, I don't I don't know how to describe <laughs> it, but I'm just sitting there staring at my opponent shuffling their deck. And I'm just like, like Jerry scared. Me, <laughs> like Jerry Me would shuffle the Japanese planeswalkers. <laughs> exactly. Oh, <laughs> Yes, exactly. Like, I'm just sitting there disturbed. And I'm like, oh my god. I almost asked the guy, like, hey, could you not shuffle my deck like that? And then he, like, picks up my deck and, like, shuffles it normally. And I'm like, oh, sick, thank god. And, like, you know... That's Ian, really in strange, your, man. Right. In your tournament report, you mentioned, like, you had all these reads on your opponents and you're, like, nailing them. I just, like... Yeah, I randomly. was too mindfucked to even think of, like, what is my opponent on? And what's funny <laughs> is, like... um. As I you was were just terrified? I, well, I was terrified, but, like, I was telling random people after the, the match, like, what happened. And, like, I would be telling my my friends, like, oh, yeah, my opponent was shuffling their deck. And, like, halfway through what I was saying, they'd be like, they're on burn. <laughs> like, every time, they were like, they're on burn. Like, everyone. And the guy was on Eldrazi. And... Oh, my read would have been Nick fit for that person <laughs> as far as so far. But anyway. No, nah, no, nah, nah. I think Nick players actually like their cards. Uh, Eldrazi. Um... <laughs> But no, You're my, right. my opponent That's was a pleasant person, um, and I destroyed them. Uh, <laughs> but, like, that, it was just, like, one of those weird things of just, like, I beat Aldrazi Aggro round one, um, and then the rest of my tournament was, like, kind of ex the expected metagame, but also kind of not. Like, I played against Death and Taxes round three, and it was my dude, Itai, who's, like, a really good Death and Taxes player. So, like, I was standing, and he walks up to me, and he, like, taps me on the shoulder. I'm like, what's up, man? And he's like, this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I look at the pairings, and I see that I'm playing against him. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm playing. That's unlucky, bro. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm playing against my friend, and I hate playing against my friends. And not only that, I'm playing against a good death and taxes pilot. And, like, good yep. death and taxes pilot is scary. That's the deck with the biggest delta, in my opinion, of, like, bad and good pilots. Like, Oh, yeah. I, I lose game one against bad pilots, and I'm, like, fucking so happy because I'm just, like, there's no way they win a post-board game. But good pilots, man, I got fucked up by Daryl Ayers quite a bit online the past month. Like, the bad pilots, um, they play the deck like it's a mono-white limited deck. And then the good pilots, <laughs> they just... 
they they run up in your house and hold you at gunpoint and steal your cookies, man. I don't I don't know how to describe it. You just lose and you're just sitting there like how did that happen? Like That's a great way to put it, man. The limited deck thing, you're absolutely 100% right about just, that. It's just like how like what what happened? It's it's <laughs> you're just completely mindfucked. But yeah, I play against Itai and like um the games kind of go as expected. Like, he won the game one where he played Aether Vial, and I didn't have an answer. And then, like, I won game two. And then game three, there was a point where, like, I slam Jace, and I go to Brainstorm. And I'm like, wait a second. And I look at his mana base, and he has a batter skull in play. And he has, an, if, if he draws a land, he has enough mana to activate Mistress Factory, equip batter skull to it, and just kill me. So I, like, fate seal him put a Rishin port to the bottom and then clinch. <laughs> I've, I've never clinched nuts as hard as I have. Then, right. <laughs> and, um, draws a card, pauses for a second. And is like head sinks. And I'm like, Holy shit. Thank God. And then like, I get to win that game. Wow. Like there was a lot of people at this tournament that I knew that I didn't get to see, like people I'm in group chats with and et cetera. There, this tournament was like, you know, like there was a 42 AD from Moda was there and like a few other storm, like notable storm players and I just didn't meet them or like I was standing next to them and didn't realize it because like that's just kind of how it played out. But, um, bro, that's that's how I feel because it was I was at table 387. So I, I didn't know who the fuck was at this tournament. Right. Um, and then I played against Rug Delver with Mishra's Bobble and, uh, I won that match and, uh, I like after the what? match I talked to my opponent about Rug Delver because like I played a decent amount of Rug Delver because I really like playing that deck. Yeah. And he was playing the Mistress Bubble list, which was like a list that Daryl Ayers tried on Moto. I can't remember if he five would with it. But um it was just like So is this like a real is this a known list or is it just like two Mistress Bobbles in in the flex slots? It was like three or four Mistress Bobbles, but I don't think the Mistress Bobbles are good. Uh, my opponent just, like, had a lot of issues where, like, I would answer their first two threats and then they did nothing for, like, 20 turns. Is it a Mongoose list, though? Yeah, it was a Mongoose list, and I don't think Mongoose is playable. Um, right. Daryl has another list where he played no Mongoose, and he played four Delver, three Tarmogoy, three Hooting Mandrel, something like that, or, like, four, like, a yep. later iteration had four Goyf, two Mandrel, something like that, or what have you. And that list felt way more coherent when uh, me and Eric Virgo played a league with it. And uh, I I don't know. I just don't think Mongoose is really up to snuff in Legacy right now. It's just not high enough impact. And the format has moved away from, like, a bunch of micro decisions mattering to, like, hey, what's the most powerful effect you can play for the amount of mana you have available to you? And... You know, some players don't really like that. Some players do. Kind of whatever. Um, Bro, when you're trying to figure out if your if your tundra opponent has six or five basic islands in their deck, it's not the right time to play Noble Mongoose, right? Right. Exactly. It's like, like there was one game that I that he had the like turn one Delver, flip Delver, and didn't play a second land drop, and it was just like, oh, okay, well, I'm just gonna get stifled out of this game and just not play any magic, and that's what happened. But, like, the games where I got to play Magic, I just destroyed him. He's, yeah. like, Rug Delver is just fundamentally unpowered, underpowered deck, which is um, which is unfortunate. It's, like, one of those things where, like, legacy players don't like to let things go. 
and like you know I'll definitely play some rugged Elk from time to time and I'll three two the shit out of that league and just be happy that I made it out like not losing money. You hear this, Ryan Lesko? You getting this? Oh, I didn't realize he was at Niagara Falls. The, oh yeah, yeah. Like I like Ryan Lesko was one of the people who I like found out was there, but I didn't meet, and it was just like, oh, that's awkward. What man, I I I think that you actually were hanging out like with uh, me, Rich, and Ryan at one point, but I think you just didn't know he was Ryan. Maybe. Oh, dude. Um, <laughs> on, on Sunday, like. I, I somehow have gotten to the point where, like, random people recognize me, but I don't recognize them. <laughs> or, like, you know, one of Tom Hap's friends, um, Michael Rapp, who won a GP with Rick's Death Shadow. I'm in a group chat with him, and I, like... what One of Tom Hap's friends? Yeah, one of Tom Hap's friends. Oh. That's how I know him. Oh, uh, well, I, I talk to the dude, like, literally every day, <laughs> right? <laughs> He's one of my friends. He's Tom's teammate. Did I say Tom Hep or did I say You did you did. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Tom <laughs> I was like, oh, this man this man gets around. I didn't even know about this. I thought I was like, I'm the other Tom. I was like disappointed, like I'm gonna angrily pound on my keyboard, like Mike, what the fuck? <laughs> Are you cheating, with, cheating on me with other Toms, man? Come on. You told me you loved me. Yeah, you're going He's in to the London. You're not going to London know. and playing the MC. You're going to London with Tom. <laughs> <laughs> don't buy, don't book a return trip. All right. But um, like there's a lot of people I interact with on the internet, and I don't really look at their profile pictures. I just like see their screen names <laughs> or whatever, and I like talk to them. So Michael yeah. Rap came up to me, shook my hand, and was like, "What's up, man?" I was like, "Who are you?" <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I'm Michael Rapp. And I was like, who? And he was like, I'm Michael Rapp from the Grixis Shadow chat you're in. And I was like, oh, shit, what's up, homie? Oh, man. It was a real awkward, like, that. that... I'm, I'm sure he took it well, though. He's, he's got a good sense of humor. Oh, yeah. there was That just happened multiple times throughout the weekend where it was just like, who are you? Oh, I know who you are. You're the shit. So... You know, anyone that happened to, uh, nothing against you. I'm just really terrible at uh, remembering these things. Bro, I was sitting next to that dude, uh, True Nightmare. And I, once again, I can't think of his, his real name. But I, Frankie, was like, Frankie. I was like, I was like, man, I really want to say hi to this dude. But I don't want to call him True Nightmare right now. So I was just like, hey, what's up, man? <laughs> You know, that, that's how it is, though, right? Because there's just, like, too many people. And, like, as, as the community's kind of getting a little more, more like, tight-knit and, and isolated, it's like more people are meeting more people, right? So it, it's it's kind of impossible to keep everything straight in your head, especially when you're, like, so focused on playing Magic like you're doing well, right? Yeah, there was, like, like Frankie. Um, I saw him, and I was like, what's up, dude? How are you doing? And I, like, shook his hand, and I, like, dipped out because, like, I was on my way to my match or something. Yeah, and that's yeah. just you know, like you said, like as the community becomes more tight knit and like more very like various people pop up and become more um, noticeable. Yeah, it becomes harder to like talk to them at GPS because more people want to talk to them about random things or you know like oh, a bunch of people know me from like the leaving, leaving a legacy group and you know I was talking to Hackbird and various other people and then. Like I was talking to people from group chats I'm in, and it was just like constantly bouncing around. 
Bro, I'm yeah. actually I'm face blind, so it's like a, a huge fucking nightmare for me. Like when someone comes up and is like, "Hey, man," and I'm like, "I don't know if I had breakfast with you, or like I've never I've just talked to you on Discord, or like we you, we were best friends in high school." Like I, I truly don't know, you know. I I see a lot of people at events that I know, like from the internet, and I'll like make make eye contact with them, but I'll be like. They probably have so many other people talking, like coming up and talking to them that they just want to like be by themselves right now and just like sort of walk by. And everybody probably thinks I'm a complete and total fucking douchebag because I see everybody and I never say hi. You got to splice in some like uh, some like can't hardly wait music or something, because that that was that was like the ultimate like uh, hot girl with low self-esteem at the prom comment. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, can't hardly wait. Can't hardly wait. That's a fucking classic. And yeah. for you younger folks, I, yeah, I saw that in college. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> that is not true. Maybe, maybe you saw it because it was on TNT or something. Jesus Christ. Wait, when did that movie come out? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm doing math backwards. You're right. No, that was 98. No. You're, you're fucking. Right. Yeah, you're I did. Of, yeah. 98. I was like six years old when that happened. <laughs> I'm old as fuck. <laughs> I was, was going to say, I was, in, I was in eighth grade, bro. There's no way. But yeah, you're, I was doing math backwards. I'm sorry. No, nah, but we're going <laughs> to we're gonna shortcut through this point. Uh, we're going to make people read my tournament report because your boy got to get them clicks or whatever. Uh, <laughs> bro. That, um, nice move. Over the check, check it out at thirstforknowledge.home.blog. Lawrence, are you are you promoting any like workout shakes or no. any anything else that um, online people are promoting? No, what I can do is like talk about like general mindset and magic. Like, I kind of noticed. Like, I walked in this weekend. I mentioned that I only got three hours of sleep, so I didn't expect to do well. And I kind of realized that the tournaments that I've done the best at are the ones where I didn't really give a shit um random iqs or like i top 16 in our tournament weekend where i started 3-0 and i lost two rounds uh because i have like to be honest i have anxiety issues around tournaments and like when i get paired against a good player i tend to play worse uh even though like they don't necessarily play better than me it's just like i play worse uh because i'm like oh man like if i take this line they're gonna see straight through it or whatever I suspect that that's kind of common to tell you the truth that, that people oh. play that way against better players. Yeah, so. definitely. But like, like there was an internal week where I went three zero zero two, and then I five zero into the top sixteen. Nice. And this tournament, I was seven zero, and then I wasn't really thinking about it. And then one of my friends was like, "What's your record?" And I was like, "Oh, seven zero. And then one of my other friends was like, "What's that whole thing about like not thinking about your record?" And I was like, "Oh, fuck." I'm 7-0. I got to get this 8-0. Like, that would be sick. And I immediately just bomb the next round. Just play like trash. Um. Bro, I don't know who's president Who's president of that club, like the Don't Talk About Your Records club, but I, I'm fucking there, bro. I, I was like, at this tournament, I was so pissed when people would come up to me and be like, what's your record? I tried so hard to not ask people their record. I was just like, how are you feeling? I tried to ask them everything but the record. And, like, I'm totally on board with that club. Like, yeah. Like, when you think about your record, you tend to just do worse because you put random pressure on yourself. Like, day two of the tournament, I was like, I finished 8 1. Like, uh, I I was 7 0, I bombed round eight, and then round nine, I just wanted to fucking go home and just relax. Like, I was so done. There was like a 30 or 45 minute wait time in between round eight and round nine. 
And I just oh. was like done with the tournament. I just wanted to like, I almost pulled a Yuta Takahashi and just went home. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, Yuta Takahashi, like day two to the GP. And then for Gata, you're supposed to play round eight on the first day after you like technically day two. And he just like went to his hotel room and just like lost the round. Um, but like, I like walked into day two and I was just like, I got to convert this eight, one finish into a top eight. Cause like an eight, one finish is like real nuts. Yeah, man. You, you only get so many of those, right? Yeah, exactly. And I just like bomb round one or bomb round 10 bomb round 11. And then I draw round 12. And at that point I'm just like frustrated. I'm like, fuck this. I don't give a shit. And I immediately three Oh into 25th place. Um, and it was just, like, one of those experiences where, like, your overall mindset going into a tournament kind of affects how you play. And if you feel like you need to prove anything to someone, you tend to play worse because you're, like, hypercritical of your plays in the moment. And you overthink things and you'll, like, level yourself out of the tournament. Whereas if you just, like, walk into the tournament you're just like, I don't give a fuck. I don't care what people think. I'm just going to play Magic. You tend to just play better. And that's been my experience. Like, every tournament where I've done well, I just haven't cared. Uh, whereas the tournaments that I've really wanted to do well, I just bombed out of. Dude, that makes a lot of sense. And, like, I saw you. That's that's when we hung out on day two was was after your draw. And you were you were totally dejected and just sort of like, whatever the fuck, right? And maybe that's the mind state you need to be in to to play your best magic. I don't know. Yeah, there's like, like magic as a game, it's like there's a certain amount of skill and there's a certain amount of variance. So like, you definitely want to like try and play as best as you can, but you don't necessarily want to focus on like, I need to play perfectly or I need to outplay my opponent or whatever. And you just want to like, play the best you can, accept the outcome as the outcome. And like, Day one, I was destroying people. Like, like it was a mix of luck and skill. Like, against Rich Callie, I molded a five game one and won that game against a seven-card hand. And it was just, like, one of those things. Where it's like, how did this happen? Luck and skill, I guess. Like, I just put myself in the best position to win the game, and I happened to win. And I think that's kind of the mindset that you need to approach Magic tournaments with, where... You don't care about, like, your peers. Like, um, I mentioned the Bash Bros podcast earlier, and they were talking about how, like, BBD won Worlds and people are still shitting on him. And it's just one of those things where, like, regardless of how well you do, there's always going to be someone who's just like, yeah, fuck that guy. They're a scrub. Um, and I think that once people rationalize that, that, like, like in the last couple weeks, um, I've just come to realize, like, I don't just, just don't give a shit. Like, if people think I'm good, if people think I'm bad, I just don't give a shit. Um, I'm just going to play Magic and do as well as I can. And as long as you kind of have that mindset of, I'm just going to do as well as I can, you'll probably do better over the course of the tournament as, a try, as opposed to trying to prove something to people. Because when you try to prove something to people, you end up playing, like, you know, either too risky or too risk-averse. And you end up not making the correct play because you're like, I need to, I need to do well. And if I fuck up, 
then people are going to think I'm bad. And it's just like, whatever, fuck those guys. <sighs> Bro, if we ever have like a, a episode 100 or whatever and can distill the best content, uh, Tom, can you save that clip? I think that was a great speech, man. I think you're exactly right about that. And I feel like that's that's the place that I've gotten and uh that that's kind of like this tournament i just had so much fun you know like doing other shit and whatever and like that's what this should be right like a trip where we go have fun like you know and if you do well in the tournament that's fucking awesome you know what i mean but ultimately that's like losing a game of magic is not the worst thing that can happen to you you know what i mean like uh it's nice you know win money and and all that stuff and you know get to go potentially to to bigger tournaments and whatever tournament you're playing and whatever the stakes are but like that you exactly nailed it right like yeah it doesn't fucking matter and fuck everybody else right like magic is just this culture where like people clench onto these demagogues and they're like oh i hope this person accepts me and blah 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 and it's like who gives a shit and you know i'm not saying like the i want to do better than next person can do like mindset isn't necessarily like ultimately bad and it can help you get to a certain point like when i got into magic like um i would say things in like my local group like magic group and they'd be like yeah whatever you're just a new guy and i was like fuck you guys i'm gonna get better than you and i did and that was like a driving like you know fuck you i'm gonna do better and um that can be helpful to up to agree up to a degree, but at a certain point you can end up just like hitting a point where you just have nothing but tournament anxiety and just fuck yourself over by not uh making the right play or just like playing too afraid or what have you. And I think um I think it's definitely like a, a level up moment for people to kind of realize that you should just play the best magic you play. And at the end of the tournament, you can, you know, take a look back and go, I could have done this better, I could have done that better, whatever, and learn from those moments and then play your next tournament better, as opposed to trying to live up to the expectations of other people or, like, what you think other people want you to be. Because I'm, like, at the point where I just don't give a shit about the viewpoints of other people. And uh, this was my best GP finish. Like, I've started a lot of GPs XO and just bombed out when it was like, oh, man, I'm playing against a good player. Or, like, oh, man, I'm XO and, like, I have to convert or whatever. And uh, what's funny is I lost three rounds this tournament and drew one. And every round that I lost was a round where it's like, I have to win this round to, like, keep my dignity or, like, do well or, like, keep my peers' respects or, or whatever. And at the end of the tournament, I finished 25th, and everyone's just like, dude, that's a fucking sick finish. And I'm just like, sure. And everyone else is, like, more proud of me than I am proud of myself. Like, I don't really care. I'm just kind of, like, disappointed that I didn't convert an 8-1 fit start into a top 16. But, like, subjectively, yeah, that's kind of disappointing. But objectively, that's a really good finish getting 25th at a GP of, Fuck yeah. of like almost a thousand yeah. people or something like that off of like one buy, like, <clears throat> you know, statistically speaking, like that isn't really common necessarily. Um, yeah, I failed. I failed to convert two ninos. Jesus. Yeah. I've, like I had, I've had X and threes, but not, 
not not pushing whatever. Yeah, and it's just one of those things that I think like the biggest downfall of most magic players is caring too much what their peers think and just like putting too much pressure on themselves to to perform. And that's kind of partially what happened to me. Where like for most of the tournament I just wasn't thinking about my record and then one of my friends was like, Hey, what's your record? And like I made a point to like tweet out like, Hey, I'm if you ask me my record, I'm not gonna tell you and then like they asked me right as I finished a match. So I just wasn't thinking about it. Like I just reactionary said, I'm seven oh and then it hit me. Holy shit, I'm seven oh at the GP. So I don't know. So if let's let's say you were giving advice to somebody who might have started a podcast to gain peer acceptance about magic. What would you say to that? <laughs> what would you say to that person? Fuck them niggas. God damn. Like, who gives a shit? Right? Well, I think there's there's two things though. Like your your own opinion of yourself cuz like Lawrence, you just said something important I think, which is that you, you finished 25th and you you didn't adjust your opinion of yourself based on that finish. You were just like, "Damn, I wish I had top 8ed." Like you know that you're that good of a player. You just don't get to go to a lot of grand prix because of work or you know whatever it is in life that's going on like you have your priorities you know travel whatever you know the the watsy schedule whatever the fuck right you you just you haven't we don't play in a grand prix every weekend so you know that you're good enough to be there right so you already have that in it that you know about yourself other people might not know about you and then like there's there's also the group think element where i think that you certainly uh and all of us at a time will will know something that's contrary to what the group thinks, and the group will be like repeating the opinions of what they what they perceive to be the best players, right? But you have more experience with like a certain card in a certain matchup or whatever the fuck it is, how to sideboard a certain matchup, and you just have to trust yourself, right? Like you ultimately, you just have to trust yourself in those situations, right? Yeah, definitely. Like one thing that led up to this matchup, or not this tournament was um i mentioned before that like a lot of the miracles dudes last minute article to red blast in their decks after playing blue white miracles for months they were just like i'm gonna play red blast and i was just like i'm not gonna play red blast i haven't tested in a while uh i've been liking the fact that straight blue white miracles just gets to ignore wasteland so i don't get to care about as much about the delver decks and etc etc and weaker against exactly Sneak and Show and, like, exactly the Mirror if they have Red Blasts, but every other matchup I felt perfectly fine in. So I just ran it, and I smacked the living shit out of most of my opponents. Um, there were some games, or there was a decent number of games that I lost based on, like, you know, my opponent having a good start or whatever, but otherwise, it was just, like, the Red Splash wasn't a relevant factor in my tournament. And, you know, that's just, like, a matter of matchups and what have you. But that is something to consider, where it's, like, you know, Honor Agath played Audible to the Red Splash. And he played Sneak and Show four times. And the Red Splash was good for him. And I played Sneak yeah. and Show zero times outside of Tom beating the shit out of my cheeks uh, <laughs> <laughs> before the tournament. And, uh... You know, maybe that was the lucky charm. Maybe I just need to fly Tom out to every GP I go to so he can, I'll, like, I'll be there. smash the living shit out of me before the tournament <laughs> and just get all the losing out, right? That's how that works. That's, that's how <laughs> confirmation bias and all that, right? 
Bro, there's something about Tom. He there's something about Tom for sure. He's he's uh he's stable in a lot of a lot of GP top eights right now. Yeah, and like to be honest, Tom, you played the Sneak and Show versus Miracles matchup way better than like actual ninety percent of my opponents have played. Like you, the only Sneak and Show opponents I played the matchup against where I was like, oh man, that guy played it really well to a point where like it didn't completely invalidate how I play the matchup were you in JPA. Um, everyone else usually just plays into how I play the matchup and I just destroy them. And like right now with Blue Eye Miracles, my record is like X and JPA and Tom, I guess. And <laughs> like otherwise, I just like crush the matchup. Even though it's not necessarily like a favorable matchup, so the same. Yeah, I I appreciate that. I I was I felt really good playing in the morning. I was ready to go, and I I just I kind of hit a wall midway through my tournament, and one hundred percent could have performed better toward the end of the day. But once the wheels fell off, they really fell off for me. Yeah, I kind of realized that you just, like, have to not give a shit about the wheels and just play Magic. Like, it's kind of one of those things where, like, we all live in a first world country. We have the opportunity to play a fucking, like, game where ink is printed on cardboard and we throw it on a table in front of another nerd who has, like, thousand dollars worth of cardboard. Like, just have fun. And if you're having fun, who gives a shit how you finish, right? You had fun that weekend, right? That's absolutely true. And, um, you know, I, like, in the end, that's just what it's about. I had the opposite experience playing against Tom. I played uh, six matches against him on Sneak and Show, and he played it better than the average opponent online. And it caused me to just straight audible my fucking deck. So, <laughs> Oh, I yeah, got, that's right. The, uh, the Etsy testing. Yeah, I was like... 50% online and I went one in five against Tom and it, it definitely got in my head a little bit. Well, that's the thing. Like you can't let that shit get in your head. You have to like gauge how well your opponent play and just go like my average of sneak and show opponent is probably not going to play as well as Tom. Right. So I'm not going to stress it. And if they do, then like whatever they got. me. But like, yeah, you know, the average opponent I'm going to beat based on like how I've been playing. And, like, maybe you want to jam more matches against Tom so you can get to the higher level and whatever. Right. But right. like That's the next step, yeah. But you just, like... Like, I think leveling yourself out of tournaments is, like, one of the easiest ways to lose a tournament and you just, just don't need to do that. So are you are you good with your tournament report? Do you want to get into the overall metagame or you got something else? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I'll post the finalized tournament report sometimes in, sometime within the next week or so. Uh, I need to finish it and then, like, hit up Jarvis to edit it because he offered to edit my articles. Nice. So, you know, we got to love Grandpa Jarvis. <laughs> How do you feel your matchup is against Blue Eyes Stoneblade? So that's an interesting question. So I had an initial boarding plan where I was keeping in two plows against Stoneblade for the early aggression. And then, like, yeah. all of my friends were like, oh, no, that's wrong, dude. Whatever, whatever. So I switched to this other boarding plan where I just had five sweepers and whatever. And what I was finding is I was getting tempoed out a bit too much. And what was interesting is round 13, I sideboard and then I like op look at my opening hand and there's two sorts of plowshares. And I'm like, oh, fucking shit. Did I 
did I did I miss board? And I pull out my yep. sideboard and I look at it, and I don't have spell pierces in my deck, which I had been keeping in my deck. And I'm like, all right, whatever, we'll fucking run with it. YOLO. <laughs> and I destroy my opponent. I'm like, wait a second. Okay. So in my testing, every Stoneblood player has played around spell pierce, like pretty religiously. Yep. And Flusterstorm hasn't been a card. So, like, all of my soft counter magic has been not relevant. So I decided to run back the the double plow configuration, which was what I was running with before, and I just destroyed my opponent again. And what I found was, like, when I was looking matchups against Stonebladers, because they were able to get under me fairly easily, and um, the double plows either, like, answer an early stone forge, or what it lets me do is, like, go, like, plow your snapcaster, snap plow your like pal shield or whatever vice versa or get back get back the the monarch right? yeah or get it for the first time yeah. like the plows let me steal the monarch and maintain it a bit better as opposed yep. to the plan i was doing before where i was boarding out all my plows and i would have a stack of counter match and i would have a stack of a um of like five sweepers and like the stack of counter magic makes sense if pal shaler wasn't a card but it is so you have to respect creatures a bit more so like the for like the first eleven rounds of the tournament, I think I was like kind of misboarding against um the blade decks. And then like the last few rounds I just like had a plan that I actually liked against the blade decks that was like very good against how the players were pot playing the matchup. So they would get like one draw off the monarch and I would steal it and I would just like kill them. So it's, I, I think that matchup is, like, 50-50, but you can also obviously swing it one way or the other based on, like, how you play it. it yeah, that that's interesting, and it, it kind of goes back to something that Tom said on our last cast, which is, like, your your confidence level, right? You felt like you had this good sideboard plan, and then you get paired against around 13 and around 14, and you're like, okay, I know how to sideboard this match, you know? Like, just that, just that sort of, like... I, I know what I'm doing, this worked for me, and let's fucking go. That That's worth something, for sure. Yeah, and, like, round 14 was kind of an anomaly. Like, my opponent led an island tundra, and I, like, had back-to-basics, and I cast ponder, and I see a second back-to-basics, and my opponent has tundra, stoneforge, and they missed the land drop. So I just start jamming back-to-basics <laughs> into them. And they're in a point where they're, like, attacking with their Stoneforge Mystic when they have a Batter Skull in play. And I get to resolve a Jace the Mind Sculptor. So, like... Nice. My opponent has Stoneforge, and I have Jace, and it's just, like, game over. And it's just one of those deals of, like... Yeah, confidence level helps, but also just, like... Knowing how you want to attack at a matchup and everything. So, I think... Mindset is something that isn't just discussed as much as it probably should be in magic in general i think like a lot of players suffer from tournament anxiety like i have i i talked to brad bonin um what's his name keaton wood and kazu negri over the keaton wood is good i played him at syracuse yeah like they're all like nutso players and they all have gp top eights and all of them said the literal exact same thing like in separate conversations Top aiming a GP was the best and worst thing that happened to me because they all felt like they had to, like, do it again. Like, 
and like imposter syndrome yeah like to a degree imposter syndrome but also just like i have to prove myself like this wasn't just a one-time thing and since then all of them have had like you know kind of mediocre gp results and like that isn't a dig at them like they're all really good players and like i've watched like brad and um keaton stream and i've like watched kazu play like mox tournaments and like kazu's like they're all the nuts like they're all fucking insane good players but it's just like the ridiculous pressure people play on put on themselves based on like if i don't do well then other people won't respect me and it's like that's not even necessarily true like people like the way magic culture is set up like you don't even have to have results for people to respect you you can just say things that are reasonable or like you know in today's age you can say a lot of like really mediocre hot takes and people follow you and like agree with you or whatever <laughs> and it's just one of those things where like all of these really good like obviously good players got gp top eights and then like mind fucked themselves out of tournaments and you know well except for brad like brad got memed on like he played against mana stretch and like his opponent put him on the play in game one <laughs> so like he just like played against Malastrays and got mana screwed like in one of the post board games when he had like continuing peace in hand. So it's, it's kind of whatever, but um, but that's really interesting, man. But you, like you get what the, I'm the, saying. All three of the, all three of them said the same thing, though. That that's that's super interesting. That you know, even people that I think are unquestionably good are still suffering from that issue. Yeah, and it's like you know. Like they mentioned the Bachelor's podcast, BBD and Brad Nelson, Corey Balmas, your guys who have like multiple GP top eight, multiple GP ones each, are just like, oh man, what if I suck? And it's just like, dude, come on. You're you're fucking world champion or gold pro or platinum pro or whatever. And it happens to everyone. And it's just one of those things where like when you go into a tournament, just don't give a fuck. Just try and have fun. Just take each match at a time. Like, I didn't lose matches until I was like, oh, I need to convert because, like, I need to get this respectable finish or whatever. And, like, when I was just like, oh, my opponent's playing this, I'm going to do this stuff. I was thinking less, like, in the grand scheme of things and more, like, here's the best play in the moment. And I was thinking less about, like, if I win or lose the matchup and more just, like, I'm trying to play as best as I can and I'm trying to win, obviously, but if I lose, then what have you, you know, whatever. Yeah. I think this is super cool. I think that this is a uh, very useful to people. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but I, I, I 100% agree. Yeah. Th this is awesome. Thank you, Lawrence. Uh, so you want to get on, how should we, how should we start this meta game? Like uh, the breakdown for the metagame. Do you want to start with the top eight or do you want to start with the day two? It was fucking snowing in Niagara Falls, my guy. Tundra gang for life. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Was it eleven percent of day two was Tundra? Is that is that correct? I don't I think I saw it. It was it was more. I think it was eleven percent. My day two was one hundred percent Tundra. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, yeah, I think. This turn was interesting because, like, I usually try to avoid over metagaming for legacy tournaments because I feel like people will just play the decks they like as opposed to, 
like switching decks, but there are a lot of Stoneblade players. Like the top tables had a lot of Tundras floating around. And um, it was interesting because like normally Tundra isn't like the go-to deck and like people do like Stoneblade because there's like this romanticized idea of like the deck and what it does and blah, blah, blah. 2010 or whatever. Yeah, yeah it's like all of that and like you know joe bernal was there and it's like obviously like if joe bernal wasn't playing stoneblade you shouldn't be playing stoneblade <laughs> but joe bernal was playing stoneblade so obviously like you definitely should probably have played stoneblade if you if you felt competent with that deck like i personally played miracles because the thought of playing um well one i played miracles for like i don't know five six years or something so like I've literally thought of Miracles lines while sleeping. Like, that's that's how much Miracles I've played. Um, but it, I just knew that, like, I could play a Stoneblade Mirror competently, but I couldn't play a Stoneblade Mirror as competently as like, I, I could play Miracles against, like, the field. And that's why I went with the deck. And I think, like, you know, Daniel... Uh, Goshul, like, he's played a lot of Stoneblade recently and has done well, which is why, like, he just, like, destroyed literally everyone he played against and, like, 16-0 in matches played. His only, air quote, loss was scooping Edgar Megalesh into the top eight. Like, he was just a monster. And, um, I don't know, it, it's kind of one of those things where, like, in Legacy, you have to ask yourself, like, is your deck that you prefer playable? And then on top of that, like, do you have a coherent game plan against the field? And if your deck isn't playable, then you should probably audible. And if you don't have a coherent game plan, you should probably spend some amount of time testing that game plan. Or, like, testing various game plans. And if you can't come up with something, maybe it's time to audible. But, um... I think one thing that's in, different about Legacy GP is, like, the players necessarily have the same amount of time to test as, like, standard or modern. Like, modern players, you know, are usually, like, college or high school students, so they have, like, way more time to kind of, like, jerk off their matchups and figure out how they want to do things. Whereas, like, Legacy players are, like, 30-year-old dads who are like, yeah, I couldn't pull out of my wife, so... Uh, I got like <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, that was directed at you, Tom. <laughs> I thought you said thirty, though. Oh, fuck! Oh, it got doubled. <laughs> Shit. But like, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's just like I have a very limited amount of time. So instead of like, there's an opportunity cost to switching decks, and instead of switching decks i'm just going to try and learn these matchups because it takes like much less time and uh that's kind of something that you can account for for legacy gps like metagaming for each different format is like very different like standard people metagame for decks and modern like their metagame shifts but people are also like kind of ingrained into playing the deck they like so it's more about knowing your matchup. and the legacy is just like the ultimate know your fucking matchups and if your deck is well positioned you'll do well if your deck isn't well positioned then you probably won't do well and you just have to accept that as like a fact of the format so like i played miracles 
because I play Miracles Forever and I know all my matchups uh, for the most part. There are like some matchups them like Iffy on and like kind of switching around sideboard plans or whatever. And um, I did well because like I knew my shit and like like I knew matchups that are on my opponent or like you know whatever. And um, that's just kind of how I went from there. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where, like, metagaming isn't just, like, a, a flat slate of just, like, the arbitrary idea of metagaming. It, based on the format, you kind of have to shift your thought process, you know? Like, I didn't expect there to be a nutso amount of Stoneblade. Like, I expected to play Stoneblade, like, maybe two times max, and I played it three times. And it was just like, okay, fine. I played Stoneblade three times. I play, expected to play, like, Delver, like, maybe two times max, and I played it, like, four times, I think? I played it, like... Br- you played against the two highest finishing Delver players, I think. Yeah, I played against one right. of the guys in the top eight, and then I played against, um... Ulanov? Yeah, I just played against Ulanov. Yeah, so I played against both the two highest placing Delvers, and, like, Ulanov's really good, and I also kind of, like, played a little poorly and drew a little poorly because I said, like, my mindset was just off that round. Where, yeah, that was your low water mark, right? Yeah, I was just, like, trying to, like, convert into a top eight and just, like, kind of played poorly, but also just, like, decided to take a line that, like, would work out um, if you didn't have certain things or what have you, and it was whatever. Um, but that's just how it was. I think Delver was ultimately unfavored, but if you're a competent pilot, like, Dennis Ulanov is, like, the nut high. I've played against him in another Legacy GP, and he just, like, beat the living shit out of me. And, uh, he's just a really good Delver pilot. So, you know, that's just how the cards, how the cards fall sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I think that this tournament especially highlighted the, uh, people who have been playing their deck, or their arc, their maybe even their macro archetype or their micro archetype did really well. Like we, we had Kevin Jones on the week before the tournament and he like, he was like, Oh dude, I'm so excited to do this podcast because I haven't thought about legacy in six months or something. He's like, I bet I have, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to look at it. And I I just want to bring my takes to what I, what I see and see where that leaves me. And uh, he has a fucking shit ton of experience with Stoneblade, obviously, right? You, you mentioned Joe Bernal. I don't know what his day-to-day life is like, but he did really well with Stoneblade, too. Those guys both were in the top 32. Kevin might have even been in the top 16. I don't know. But uh, th- obviously, Jerry made, made top eight with Sneak and Show. You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of you guys who I considered some of the best Miracles pilots were in the top 32 with Miracles. And it was just a lot of people who know their decks really well. Uh, a lot of people, you know, that I, I don't know, but then a lot of people who I think are there because of that reason. So I think that that really highlights what you're saying. Yeah. Um, Kevin posted a tweet and I was like, come to me if you want like a good deck list that isn't going to like cuck you. Cause like he, um, he got Harlan. Yeah. He got Harlan. He played like a Harlan here, <laughs> Stoneblade, Delver list. And I think that deck is like garbage. I'm sorry, Tarm. I think the deck is like really terrible. Oh man. So yeah, there were a lot of Stoneblade decks. The second most deck in day two though. Or wait, is this after they adjusted it? It, it is. Uh Grixis Delver. Yeah, what's odd is like 
I feel Grixis Delver is pretty bad for this tournament. So, like, my friend Brandon Dalloway played it uh, because he just felt comfortable with the deck because that was the last deck he played. And he didn't do that well, but I kind of attribute it less to his player skill because he's, like, a very, very good player. Um, but Grixis Delver is, like, one of those decks that really needs to convert its Wastelands. And if you can't convert Wastelands, your dazes are suck. Which I think is generally an overall problem with the Delver Shells, but the Blue-Red Delver deck kind of gets to sidestep that by just, like, throwing Lava Spikes at its opponent's face. Whereas Grixis Delver is more of a mid-range deck. And, like, I mentioned I played against Cali, and he was on, like, the Stifle Grixis Delver deck, and, like, it was kind of whatever. Um, I think Stifle is just, like, a too much of a variable to play. But it may be correct, because... It gives you more virtual one-drops as opposed to, like, the other Grixis Silver decks, which focus more around two, two, three drops or what have you. Um, but I don't know. Like, Grixis Silver is just a deck that people probably owned already, and they're just like, I'm going to keep playing the deck I own. Whereas, Yeah, the other thing about Stifle is it, it actually helps you convert your Wastelands, right? Because you can sort of trap people into having to having to play into it. Exactly. So I, I think that 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 was the conclusion that I'd kind of gotten to. But I, I hadn't played enough reps to actually switch to Delver. But I was like, I think I might actually be playing Stifle Crixus if I do play. So I kind of, I'm not sure if they got there the same way, but I kind of understand it. Yeah, like, I played... Bob Grixis Delver, like what happened once? Oh yeah, yeah, that was yeah, yeah. Like I played, that was uh... I was playing Grixis Delver and I decided to play League with Bob and I five zero on stream. Yep. And then like I was like, these Bobs did nothing, but maybe they're worth testing some more. And then my buddy Chad Harney of Team Nova fame uh, went nine one the next day, and then Dylan Hovey top eighted the challenge like the same weekend or like the weekend after or something. So it was like. Maybe these bobs fuck. And what we found was, like, the bobs were very good against combo and, like, mid-range and control, but they weren't good against, like, other Delver decks. So they were, like, worth playing in the abstract, but, like, on a lower level, they weren't worth playing. Um, and I noticed, like, a lot of people have been playing bob, and I, I understand it. Like, it doesn't attack or block well, which is kind of how people think, like, oh, Delver is a tempo deck, but I tend to look at Delver as like a very mid-range deck. Like you're, you're less about like cutting your opponent off of plays and more just like trying to grind them into oblivion. And Bob does that well. It finds your other threats, it finds your disruption, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yep. Yeah, that, that's that's a good way to put it. So the third deck we we've kind of talked about it quite a bit is Miracles. You probably know the the majority of the day two miracles <coughs> right uh i would imagine uh i i know the, the names of like three or four of them i don't know who the others were but it looks like there were six or seven miracles pilots in day two and in your estimation are they all like miracles pilots like you know for the past x years or whatever i'd have to look at the names there were a few guys at the top tables who I didn't recognize. I think like a lot of the notable miracles pilots actually didn't really <laughs> convert. Um, like Dakota Cotton, I don't remember. I don't recognize that name. 
Okay. Uh, Hans Jacob Goddard, a funny story, is like, before the tournament, he's showing me his deck. And like, all of a sudden, he's just like, oh, fuck. I'm an idiot. And I'm like, dude, H.J., what are you talking about? Like, Hans is a H.J. Kaiser on Moto, and he is a leg- uh, North American legacy um, champion. Like, he-, he won Eternal Weekend. And he's like, yep. and he like pulls out his deck, and he starts showing me his deck, and he shows me two polluted deltas. And I'm like, holy shit, you're playing Basic Mountain, aren't you? And he's like, yes. So he's playing Basic Mountain with only two fetch lands that can fetch it for his Red Blast Splash. And he's like, oh, oh my, my god. god. And we're all like, dude, Hans, go up to the judges station, get that changed, like, go grab some scalding turns, you'll be fine. And he's like, fuck it, YOLO, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna roll with it. And he t- gets 14th place. And like, he's just like, wow. like, H is the fucking nut. That's that's fucking wild. Yeah, Anurag gets top eighteen um, with Anurag miracles. It has like a what is it? it? Has a mission briefing and a and a a predict and a sideboard. Like it's just very Anurag miracles. <laughs> it's like very aggressive, like very much passive miracles as opposed to like how I play miracles, which is more like mid rangey and yeah. you know that's how it goes. Um, what else was there? There was like another guy who got who played miracles who like had a red splash, but only for the ashes, which was very odd. Um, yeah, buddy. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I fuck with some from the ashes. Like, I own like six Japanese copies of that card. Or did at one point. I I think some of them got like destroyed or something. But like. It seems odd to me to splash red for your not only your non basic land hate when back basics is in the format. I think that's such a great idea. I feel like everybody needs to pick up a place out of that card. Shut up, Tom. MTG Finance. I, I have I have like two hundred of them. I need to fucking get rid of them. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Tom. <laughs> Go. I'm not fucking around. This has come up on the cast before. <laughs> like that card fucks. But it was just really odd to me that they splashed red. Like, they made their mana base worse solely to add non-basic land hate to their deck. And it, yeah, and it, just it doesn't... really seems like a bad call with Back to Basics, right? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Because, like, Back to Basics is 3 mana, and From the Ashes is 4 mana, and From the Ashes can get Flusterstorm, Spellpierce, or whatever. Whereas Back to Basics can't get Flusterstorm, and, like, you can't Red Blast it from the, a Back to Basics, but you can't Red Blast it from the Ashes. But, like, you know what I'm saying? It's, like, you have an effect that's more consistent, and he didn't play basic mountain in his deck. So, like, he was really all in on just, like, casting the one from the ashes, which meant that you probably had to preemptively fetch for the red source, which makes you more susceptible to wasteland and, like, you know, just more consistent mana. So it's just, like, a very awkward dynamic, I think. Um, I don't know. I It was definitely something that struck me as odd. Yeah, that's really strange. But it sounds like what you're saying is that a lot of good player, good good miracles pilots made day two, and that's what they're doing here. Because I don't think that this was like, you know, people were looking at this meta game and saying, "Oh, miracles is the best deck" or something. But they're they're saying miracles is the best deck for me. Mm-hmm. Quite literally, that like miracles pilots tend to just like play miracles because we tend to like grind the shit out of our matchups and just try to learn them inside and out. 
as opposed to audibling to different decks. So fourth place was it says turbo depths, but honestly, the most decks I saw were were uh, slower than than turbo depths. They were like uh, Mox Diamond Bob uh, depths decks, you know. Um, I don't know if you want to call that medium depths or slow depths or what, but that that deck I, I think is is sort of the opposite of what we were just saying about miracles. I think people people chose that deck because they they thought that it was a good way to attack this meta. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like a lot of the miracles pilots have been. Um struggling with that matchup and i didn't play a lot of legacy or a lot of magic in general up until the gp and one of my friends was like hey dude try my boarding plan where it consisted of cutting all of your abrupt decay targets like all your back to basics all your counter balances everything and you would just have snapcasters and jace in your deck to kill them with it was just boarding what the fuck yeah you were just boarding every arbitrary answer for what they were doing and that's how you would beat depths. Like, if they two for two or three for one themselves to like make a twenty twenty, you would just like kill it and move on with your life. So you got like surgicals and uh and disenchants and shit coming in. Yeah, base surgical disenchant, uh, terminus stays in, just like yeah, every interactive piece, and you just like kill them with Jace. And um, how about force of wills? Uh, you keep the number of forcing two to four. Uh, sometimes you'd have Mendeling click, sometimes you wouldn't, you know, play draw matter sometimes. And, um... That's really funny, man. So you're kind of becoming like the, uh, that, that's kind of how I, I board against them with Stoneblade, and I always wondered, you know, I thought that Miracles probably has the better matchup because you're more of a back-to-basics deck. But, uh, that, that's interesting to hear. Yeah, back-to-basics is kind of awkward. I'm actually, like, thinking about writing an art article about miracles where like i kind of go in depth about how miracles isn't necessarily a true control deck and how the deck operates on four axes like there's the true control axis there's the tempo axis there's the mid-range and there's like the prison axis where like you know sometimes you're the counterbalance back to basic deck. sometimes you're the snapcaster tempo deck you're sometimes you're the modest statement or mid-range deck or what have you and um you know probably write that here soon after i finish this turnaround report because that's like kind of an interesting like, go in thing to go into because i think a lot of people think of miracles as like classical control deck or like if you look at how andrew andrew cuneo plays the deck or like other pro players when they pick up the deck they tend to build it like a true control deck or like jim davis when you watch him play he's very much a true control deck when in when you watch like me or sam rukas or like one of the miracles guys play it's like this weird tempo, like it. It's very fluid. Um, you know your matchup, and then like you figure out, you know how you want to attack the matchup. And it's it's kind of just like you know against the combo decks, you turn to this flash tempo deck that randomly has like a few prison lock part cards, but against like Eldrazi, you're like a prison mid range deck, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The next deck on day two. Uh, Grixis Control, I, which I had as as my five B in our top five decks, and you guys gave me a lot of good reasons why that you didn't think it would be good for this tournament. And I, I just, I honestly have, have never thought it was good for any tournament. I, I always kind of after playing the deck, I I kind of was off of it. But I, I guess if you thought Sneak and Show was going to be really overly represented, which I don't think that a lot of people audible to it. 
of course, I, I was in a house with six people and two of them did audible to it, so I could be wrong. But uh, I'm not sure what, you know, a lot of people think that it has this, this great Stoneblade mashup. So I guess you'd get there if you thought Stoneblade and Miracle and, and Sneak and Show were at one, two, right? I think Grixis Control sucked because you're fundamentally a deck. But, like, you have the same issues as every other gen deck where you can't boss use the top of your deck or your opponent's deck. But, like, other gen decks are like, oh, yeah, I have Karmagoyf or some arbitrary, like, <clears throat> clock to just keep your opponent from doing anything. And, like, if you look at Edgar Megalesh's deck, you have, um, Dak, not Dak Faden, uh, the other, the other obnoxious three drop, uh, fuck. What's the one? Le- Liliana the last time? No, Leovold. 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 You have Leovold because, like, most of the format is blue. And, like, against... That stops the top, yeah. Right, like, against Gris and Control, like, you get him to throw up twice, and you're just like, whatever, ponder, uh, brainstorm, here's my Jace the Mind Sculptor, eat a dick. And your opponent's just like, oh, no, what do I do? I can't do anything because my deck is fucking trash. Um... <laughs> and, um... Like the punishing deck deck stops that because it's like if you just like top deck a Jace the Mind Sculptor, you're like, oh, I have to like plus maybe kind of hope, maybe oh shit, uh, do they have punish? May oh fuck, um, uh, let me tank for two minutes on so deciding what I'm gonna do with this Jace the Mind Sculptor, and it's probably plus in hope that they get to brainstorm next turn, and um. Like, part of, you know, that's just part of the reason why the Punching Dak deck or, like, the Strifle pile is good. Because it just crushes every fair deck. And, like, Miracles is, like, the one deck that happens to have, like, back-to-basics and counterbalance and has these, like, permanent base hate effects that can just arbitrarily shit on what the deck is doing. But, um, everything else in the format just kind of just, like, eats deck to Punishing Fire plus, like, just grindy bullshit. That's why Edgar top aided. Well, Edgar's also just like fucking nuts. Yeah, and I mean, he's a really good. Player. Yeah, he's just like nuts. It's it's fucking absurd. So the the next deck, I didn't even realize this because I didn't see it in the top thirty two. Other than I, I believe Cyrus was. Well, they say Storm, so I imagine that's the congregation of Tess and Ant, and I think that uh, I didn't see any TES pilots in day two, but I I, I wasn't there. So what, what was your uh, what was your take on that, Lawrence? Mm, I think Storm was really good in the winner's bracket, but not really. In general, I think Chow's decks and like decks that are bad matches for Storm get knocked into like the X1, X2 bracket very early. And this tournament, was very well positioned to just beat the shit out of Storm because I think everyone's kind of prepared for it. So, like, you had, like, you know, 42 AD and you had Control for Days and you had Cyrus, just, like, all these notable Storm players from Moto at this tournament. And, like, the best they did was, like, top 32, top 64, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it was less a matter of, like, them being bad um, but more just like the format being set up in such a way that it just hated Storm out naturally. And I think in general, Storm is a very good deck for like the winner's metagame. 
but you have to be a very good storm pilot to be able to like fight through all the like tundras and you know underground seas and what have you whereas like everyone else kind of has an easier path so like i think this was potentially one of the worst tournaments for storm to play because you like I don't think Stoneblade has a good match against Storm necessarily, but I think like a good Stoneblade fight will beat Storm most of the time. And I think like the other good Tundra deck was uh, Miracles, and I think Miracles does just have a good Stone, uh, good Storm matchup naturally. So like you had this game of like everyone expected Stoneblade, and then you had people trying to level Stoneblade by playing Miracles. By going over the top of the training nemesis sub game. And then the storm players just suffered by like people trying to go over the top. Yeah, for sure. And then the, the other decks rounding it out are Death and Taxes and Blue Red Delver are the decks with five percent. And then the the two big chalice decks each have four percent along with sneak and show. So uh, is there anything in there that you you or Tom want to want to touch on specifically of those those five decks? Not really. Seems reasonable to me. Just like yeah, general decks and like see that people play. One thing that really jumps out to me is we've seen a lot of Maverick online picking up like uh, uh, Dan Neely. Yeah, Dan Neely exactly, and uh, Julian. Julian. Yeah. And true. The, yeah. A lot of people have been, you know, saying they've been doing really well with Maverick, putting up results with Maverick, and it kind of surprised me to not see Maverick with like a at least like a two percent or something, right? Uh, in this tournament, not really, right? Like Maverick is a deck from like yesteryear legacy that like, you know, dudes like Danny Lee and Julia are more inclined to pick up because they were playing back then. They may have an affinity for that deck. Whereas the newer players or people who are more willing to show up to Niagara are probably just like the younger crowd. So they're going to remember less of like the legacy scene that was like portrayed on Star City VODs back in 2012 and more just like, hey, somebody told me that Stoneblade was really good and Stoneblade is really cool and like all the cool kids play Stoneblade or whatever. So I'm just going to play that. And that was, like, the majority of my experience playing at Stoneblade. It was, like, 20-something-year-old guys who just, like, had the deck. And it was less, like, the 40-year-old guys who seemed like grizzled legacy veterans, per se, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. That, that makes a lot of sense. And that was kind of what the crowd looked like, the Day 2 crowd, at least. Uh, I think a lot of the, a lot maybe a lot of the, the guys you're talking about got knocked out Day 1. Uh, it... I don't know really that you know how many good players really gave the deck a shot, uh, and I'm, I'm not I'm not ready to say that it it would would have done really poorly in this meta game, but uh, I just thought it was interesting. Uh, I think Snowblade is probably overrepresented based on like people just assuming it's good. I personally didn't play it because I didn't want to play Trinity Mirrors because those are miserable and like Trinity GT Mirrors are just, you know, I just want to cast Determinus on those board states and that's what I decided to do. Um, but I think it just comes down to personal preference and kind of just how well each player is equipped to kind of figure out like where they should be in the metagame, 
how they should adapt to things. You know, some players are going to peg the medic incorrectly and be fine. Other players are going to put themselves in the, like the, oh, I'm listening to this podcast a week later and realizing I fucked up bracket. So, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And a lot of people, like you were saying, have an affinity towards Stoneblade. And if they're like looking at the decks and they say, oh, nothing's really jumping out at me, that's where you land is the deck that you want to be playing, right? Like the, the deck that you had fun with, you know, some number of years ago or the deck that you think you, you know, feel comfortable with, whatever, that a lot of people just will land there. And that's why we, we gave Death and Taxes and Stoneblade a bump in our rankings because as opposed to a deck like Sneak and Show, a, a lot of people... I think will pick up Stoneblade. If they're not committed to a deck, they'll pick up Stoneblade first. Yeah, definitely. So is there, uh, is there anything else that you guys want to jump into just because we're getting a little long here? No, I'm good. Uh, looks like someone did a pretty hot metagame breakdown. Uh, Taoshin won the Legacy Challenge with Lands, and he was talking about it in a group chat with that I'm in. Um... And he beat Sneak and Show like three times in that tournament. Yeah, how the fuck? How do you how do you beat the show? Dude, Not even just Sneak and Show, but the days Simeon Spirit guys Sneak and Show deck. Dude, in France they call him Machine La Machine, and uh, really, yeah, they that's that's his, their nickname for him. It's like Bert Kreischer. He like you know he's a student, so he still has that young blood energy. So he just like plays three leagues a day, and. Uh, that's just who he is. Bro, wait, can we talk about this for a second? Because Nate, Nate Golia brought this up a while back. He's like, what do you think the optimal age of a Magic player is? And we had a 13-year-old, like a literal 13-year-old kid, win the uh, the MCQ on Friday. Then we had uh, Gold Ducat. I'm not, I don't know how old he is, 18. but I heard he's really young. 18? He won, obviously, this event. Uh and there, there were quite, you know quite a few kids doing reasonably well. Uh, back at the the Star City in Syracuse a couple weeks ago, that top eight was littered with like nineteen year olds. What what do you guys think is the like the optimal age to be playing? So Magic? maybe maybe it's just nineteen, like right before you have a ton of responsibilities in the real world, and you right before you like really discover alcohol. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's like. That's the maximum. That makes actually too much sense. I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. No, that makes sense <laughs> to me as well. Yeah, I don't know. Some 12-year-old kid like being the shit out of everyone at the at the PTQ is just like a hilarious story to hear. Just like jealous at live tweeting the whole thing. Just like yeah, dude. Just losing his shit every time the kid like went to brainstorm because I guess he like grabbed four cards <laughs> Drew a few four times. Four cards, yeah. Yeah. Just jealous at losing his shit. <laughs> yeah, but honestly though thank you for doing that joe and, and uh and uh anurag for for doing that we were in the car just like furiously refreshing the tweets to see uh what was going on in the top eight look man i'm not saying uh, i was driving home with my knees <laughs> at 80 percent, just like knees on the steering wheel fo- hands on the phone following coverage but uh there's a non-zero chance that happened at least one <laughs> during my drive home dude those games were actually really exciting games too it's too bad they're not archived in like uh you know real coverage form but it's awesome that they are archived in some form yeah i was listening to honorage podcast and he mentioned that it costs like something like seven to ten thousand dollars to like 
get the Wi-Fi to do coverage for GP. Yeah, how fucked is that? Yeah, so, like, I don't blame Wizards for not having coverage for, for all the GPs. Like, it sounds ridiculously expensive. But, um, you know, it is sad that we don't get, like, GP coverage for everything like we used to. And, you know, some of us will have to, like, sadly go through the MTG Top 8 um, archives to to get that sweet, sweet juice that we want. But, you know, or, like, 2012 SCG VODs where it's Rug Delver versus Black Blue Reanimator Ad Nauseam. Uh, ad Nauseam in, in terms of, like, over and over as opposed to the deck. I guess I should probably make that, <laughs> that distinction. Well, um, before there, before I found out about so many insane plays, I was falling asleep to those vods every night. Oh yeah, man! Just like, I mean, SCG vods are how I learned how to play Magic competently. Um, oh yeah, absolutely! Just, like most definitely, just learned how. Like Patrick Sullivan and Cedric Phillips taught me how to play Magic. Hundred percent, man, and you know we owe we owe them a lot. I think I uh, I did mention on our last cast. Uh, I felt so bad uh, about my finish. I had to do a little retail therapy and finish my set of Moxin. So I'm just fucking with this this Ruby all day. And uh, yeah, uh, we're, we're obviously fucking pumped. We had uh, our guests had a 100% conversion rate into day two at this tournament. Uh, Lawrence, you were the highest finishing of any of our guests. So you are carrying that mantle as the uh the best player that we know and you know obviously your results define you as a magic player 100 percent. so you know be really <laughs> worried be really worried about that because you know if you fall off then you're no longer the best i, I so your results don't define you as a magic player now and give a fuck what you think my guy like exactly if bro. i do well then i do well if i don't then i don't like whatever it happens like magic is a game yeah. where there's like ingrained variance so like assuming that someone doing well is just like a complete definition of how they played. Like you can play perfectly and your opponent can still just go like childlessly Trinosphere and just fuck soul up. And uh yeah. who gives a shit? Like Exactly. Yeah. But but no, we are proud of your finish though. I, I was sort of joking because we've talked so much about that, about like how we shouldn't be thinking about our finishes or whatever. But we knew, or at least I knew, and I'm sure Tom knew that you were, you were a very good player and that if you went to these events, you would have these finishes eventually. So congrats on that. Uh, what's your, what's your next event you're going to? Um, I really want to try to go to Atlanta. Um, and then I will see where they announce eternal weekend. I'd like to go to Eternal Weekend. Um, like, the last two times I've gone to Eternal Weekend, I've played Vintage, but if I go this year, there's a decent chance that I just, like, completely skip Vintage. I... play side events for Legacy that day or whatever? Yeah, I've never played, like, the Last Chance Qualifiers, but I may do that or just show up later in the day and just play the tournament. They usually have some cool shit like uh, win like revised starter decks for like the last chance qualifiers too, if I'm not mistaken. I I don't know. So, I haven't played any any of them. Yeah. Yep. But anyway, uh, anything else before we get out of here? How can people find you on Twitter, uh, Lawrence? Uh, it's just my name, Lawrence Harmon. Uh, Lawrence with a W. No, no E. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, 
yeah, you can find me there. There's a link to my blog there. Um, I periodically update my blog with articles that I find things interesting to write about, and I'm in the middle of writing a tournament report, and I have a few other ideas that I hopefully will get around to. I have this bad habit of, like, mentally writing articles, and then when I go to, like, put them on paper, I'm just like, I already wrote this in my head, so fuck this, and I move on with my life. So I'm trying real hard to not, like, flesh out these thoughts uh, and I'll try and get them on paper for the maps. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I didn't realize that you updated your blog. I'll check it out. Yeah, it's it's real inconsistent. It's really inconsistent. Okay. Uh, Tom, if people are looking for you on Twitter, how do they get a hold of you? T Smiley MTG, Dead Format Cast, and MW underscore ninety four GA. That's so, not that's not me, but you need to like read the art of war while looking at the Google translates of these tweets. <laughs> Homie's gonna get like probably twenty followers Look, on, on Tuesday of next week. I'm not lying. Just out of the blue. Palo Pat Uglo's confusion at your tweets that I was just reading <laughs> over was just perfect gold, man. Hashtag MTG squat squad. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, are, how are we doing on emails, Tom? Do we? Do we? Uh, should I put out the call for more emails? Yeah, let's do it. We can All take right. more. Deadformatcast at gmail dot com. First three emails don't get deleted. There we go. Uh, Ian eighteen one twenty five on Twitter, and I believe that's a wrap. Dude, this liquor is running through me like a fucking train. Just, <laughs> I need to piss again.